It's showtime. Three hours of conversation, cussing, and a discussing with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicod, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. And here we go, off and running on this 21st day of November, 2023. Goodness gracious, we are three weeks into November. This is the Horn. Head on .live is where you'll find us on the interweb tubes. And that's also where you go if you'd like to be part of the merry, wacky, zany, real-time, madcap, multimedia extravaganza that is the Horn in the three hours, the Horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All time zones in between and the Great Globe Round. And whatever time it is when you're listening to the podcast. Hi, I'm Robin. If you are listening to the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave a comment for the algorithms. It all helps the program gain more visibility and perhaps bring more people into this little ongoing conversation almost 20 years in the making. And if you are listening live right now, well, feel free to pop by the chat room where you'll be greeted by the early arrivers. Good crowd for this Tuesday. It's Tuesday, right? Uh, the, hey, Anatole and Irish Dave and Matt in San Francisco and Ralphs and Squeaky and Theo. Hail, hail, the, part of the gang's all here. And there will be a fantastic conversational experience take place uh, there during the course of the program. Uh, like I said, we are three weeks into November and I want to uh, extend my gratitude for your kind indulgence uh, in my uh, with my absence yesterday. I had a great day, uh, and and look, I'll be candid. Of late, it has become necessary for me to just sort of. I mean, I I don't think it's ever entirely possible for me to tune out, but just to put things on the back burner and focus on things around the house. I cooked all weekend long, and. Being back in my kitchen and, and and able to create things again, I think, is really, really good for me. And it just puts my head in a good place. And So yesterday, I went to Friendsgiving. Um, Annette wasn't feeling particularly, well, she was feeling kind of puny, really. That's what we say in the hills here, puny. Uh, peak it, even. And uh, so it was just, uh, it, was, it was me and Margie. And there was just such a such a such a sense of uh, happiness and goodwill, and it was just it, it, oh the food. And so I did. Uh, 
I did a big pot of red beans and rice, and then I created, uh, I, I finalized the recipe that uh, um, that that asparagus bisque I created because I felt like I needed to create something that was vegetarian. So it wasn't vegan, but it was vegetarian. No meat, no chicken broth or anything like that. Um, entirely plant-based, and well, I mean, there was some dairy, there was some milk, but still, I think that's okay vegetarianly, at least with some people. Uh, and then I did, I did pimento cheese. I did like uh, three dozen pimento cheese deviled eggs, and those things were gone. It was like whoop, gone. <laughs> Where'd those go? I love deviled eggs. I do. All forms, all sorts, all varieties. Yeah, the clatter, Randy Radar, that clatter did not sound good, Randy said. No, that was me knocking over the cowbell. Because I'm just trying to get things uh, rearranged here in the rather crowded space of the uh, fabulous horn studios at the magnificent Kincaid Mansion. But I did. I had a wonderful time yesterday and just... In good spirits, got up at 5 o'clock this morning to get Margie to a doctor's appointment. Uh, her appointment was at 9. They didn't see her until 10.30. And I got home about 1.30. But all in all, you know, that basically yesterday was my Thanksgiving. And it was, it was just a lovely evening. Margie and I had a blast. Um, so that leads to the program note. I'm not exactly sure what's going on on Thursday, but give me, you know, uh, shoot me a note, whatever, uh, and let me know if you'd be interested in, you know, maybe a front porch on Thursday for people who uh, aren't actually, you know, involved in great big Thanksgiving Day festivities. Just let me know. It'll be fine. Uh, every program, let's see, what's that? Early message coming in. Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure what was running, but uh, Arnold said, what a complete mindfuck. Last night's boys from the rerun to now. It's a dramatic difference. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Arnold, I think. I think. Um, I found that, yes, I did, Ralphs. I found the cowbell the hard way. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the banner. I don't have anything to do with the banner on the web page, Randy. Uh, but at any rate, every program here begins with uh, gratitude, and this program is no different. And so as a consequence, we say thank you to our 21st, 20th, and 19th day of the month, subscriptions, subscribers. And so without that being the case, thank you to Tracy. And thank you so kindly to uh, to Colin. And thank you to Libby. Thanks a ton to uh, Vincent. Thank you, Vincent. And thank you to Reverbo, the human man out in Colorado. Thank you to Ralphs. Thank you to Armand. Dr. John in New Mexico. Uh, thank you, Michael. 
Uh, thank you to Darlene in Connecticut. Thank you to Don in British Columbia. Thank you all for being partial sponsors of the program. Where that leaves us uh, in terms of the fundraising and trying to keep all the bills paid to keep this little uh, this little conversation running. Um, we are at one thousand one hundred and thirty dollars, eleven thirty, to get caught up um, all the way up to today. So, um, all I'll say is that everything's going to bills these days. So, thank you in advance if you can help out the PayPal buttons at HeadOn.Live. The uh, uh, Patreon button is as well, and is as well, and the uh, United States Postal Service delivers checks and money orders to The Horn, 1038 North Eisenhower Drive, PMB 318, Beckley, B-E-C-K-L-E-Y, W-V 25801. If you need it, again, just send me a note and I'll type it out to you or something. But it's also there, I think, on the main page or the uh, contribute page. It's on the contribute page at uh, headon.live. Oh, and and just a reminder um, for those so inclined, if you do use a check or a money order, because we're changing over our financial institutions and stuff, uh, just make checks or money orders payable to Robin, R-O-B-Y-N, Kincaid, K-I-N-C-A-I-D, and that will make my life immensely Simpler. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, ah, okay. Last night's rerun was November the 20th, 2018. I can imagine there was a little bit of a difference. Or as uh, as Arnold put it, uh, a big difference. <sighs> Yay. So where do, where do we, uh, where do we begin uh, with the, uh, program today you, I found the cowbell the hard way you, Amelia, he walked up to a cow and said look a new gate and as it was turning you yanked his cowbell off as fast as you could and ran back like crazy yeah and well I, I cow tipped yeah. I cow tipped and then uh, stop it Amelia um, now places uh, places to begin things to Thanks to how about since it is Tuesday, it is a Titanic Tuesday. The Tuesdays generally are in which we take note um, of massive incidents of right wing intellect. Um, so, apropos of nothing, it is the season um, let's see. Ralphs, I did not see that note. I did not see that note. Um, thank you. And I was, it was, uh, 
I mean, it, it was sad news to hear that just days after entering hospice, uh, Ms. Rosalind Carter had passed away. Long and full life. And she she remained absolutely committed to her decency to the end of her days. And it's funny how the sort of community uh, hive mind, for lack of a better term, plays out here with this. Uh, we because we we do we. I, we, we think about things in a, in a similar fashion, really. And more than two or three of you reached out to me to say, you know, what a shame uh, Ms. Carter passed away. and I hope her passing was quiet and dignified. And... And then the next, the next thing, the next thing said was... I'm almost afraid afraid to look in the news because I can't stand to see what kind of tawdry, evil shit the right wing is saying about her. And I felt the same way because I thought the same thing. Oh, they're going to be gross. They're going to be so gross. And I, I, I haven't looked much except to say that I did. Uh, yeah, I did see the condolence tweet that Julius Geezer sent out, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to subject us to that. Just not. But thanks for the thanks for the cartoons from Democratic Underground, the collection there. Uh, Ralphs, thank you. Rosalind sitting at the pearly gates and looking at, I guess, Saint Peter. I wait. Jimmy and I do everything together. And sweet. They pretty much did. And Ralphs said she would like to put a $50 uh, challenge on the table in memory of the passing of Rosalind Carter. Thank you, Ralphs. And thank you to an uh, anonymous Internet friend. Uh, a $65 Turkey Day for One, uh, Turkey Day One for One doubling challenge. In other words, $65 come in. And our kind internet friend turns it into $130. And that would be wonderful. So it's a, a Turkey Day doubling challenge. And the in memory of First Lady Rosalind Carter, $50 challenge. So that would be a chance to uh, uh, knock uh, 200 and... Yeah. $230 off of the fundraising goal, which is at 1130 Get us down to being funded uh, for like today, Friday, and Thursday, or with that yet to be funded. 
little follow-up because the story, I think, caught Flavio's eye. Um, you remember us talking about the scam of balance of nature? Which didn't the manufacturer didn't even make sure that what was in it they said was in it. Yeah, yeah. When we use when we when we when we say greens, we mean the stuff comes from real greens, and when we say berries, we mean no, no. Uh, commenting independently on the action, Mark Ullman of Council for Rivkin Radler LLP told told Neutral Ingredients USA, an online trade publication. It was gratifying to see the FDA district in Utah bring a serious enforcement action like this. It sends a message. Ullman added that while this is a relatively basic injunction, it's very hard to come out from under an injunction like this. These things are onerous. They're expensive to cope with. He also noted with surprise that there's no recall language for product that's currently on the market. The decree does state that FDA may order a future recall at the defendant's expense of any product that is adulterated or violates the decree in any way. Generally, when you have violations for this length of time and FDA and DOJ seek a remedy for that noncompliance, there's a product recall, so FDA believes the conditions are so serious that this kind of action is required but doesn't initiate an immediate recall. That's surprising, said Ullman, Mark Ullman of, of counsel for Rivkin Radler LLP. And yet, lo and behold, Flavio points out, balance of nature still advertising on cable TV with a big Black Friday discount. Oh, I'll bet it is a discount. God alone knows what's in that in that stuff. It's just a reminder that, and there was a big push years and years and years ago. Get the government off our backs. And so, as long as it's a nutrition supplement and you don't make specific claims about it, oh, I don't know, curing cancer or keeping your nose from falling off, you can sell any kind of patent nostrum you want to, as long as it's a nutritional supplement. Hi, but yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, Darlene, for meeting Ralph's challenge. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Ralph's challenge in memory of Rosalind Carter met. Thank you, Darlene. Uh, the the further the further back in history the Carter administration recedes, the more of a humanitarian and, 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 and a victory and a success for just plain common decency it will become. Because especially when you consider the 12 years that came after, the dirty dealings that were necessary in order to make old 666 himself, Ronald Wilson Reagan, the President of the United States, instead of a second term for Jimmy Carter, that alone you know, negotiating. Well, it's 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 it. God, I don't even know if I should whisper this into the ear of the universe. It'd be like, if you want to contextualize it, it would be like having Donald Trump. I don't know, negotiating with Hamas to secretly provide them money in exchange for them turning loose all of their hostages. And running it all through a shadowy billionaire and meanwhile having a nasty funding a nasty illegal war somewhere else that Congress had 
forbidden funding of? Uh, Steve in New York, President and Mrs. Carter, the party of family values would do well to observe what family values actually look like. Truth, absolute truth, Steve. And then uh, yesterday I listened to some of the arguments in D.C. over the gag order. And that was not, that was something less than inspiring. Oh. And I couldn't really get a sense of which way the court was going to go. So that's, I presume, I presume that, uh, I don't know if I can. No, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to find some 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 way to put a, a, a happy. But no, they will reach a decision fairly quickly because it will then have to leave the D.C. Circuit and head up, uh, you know, head up the road to the uh, to our most puissant, dread sovereign, Supreme Catholic Majesties. But it being Titanic Tuesday and all, we should probably check in with. Uh, oh, I don't know the trial in. Uh, the trial in Manhattan. The former controller of the Trump organization burst into great big weepy bucket filling tears today. Uh, former controller Jeffrey McConney. said that uh, he. <sighs> overvalued Trump's tacky-ass penthouse by over a hundred million dollars. Well, somebody didn't carry the 12. On the stand, McConney said, Well, I figured the, uh, I figured the, uh, the broker from the Trump organization who told me how big a home was, I figured he knew the property a lot better than I did. I'd rely on him. And, uh, I mean, I never spent any actual time in the apartment or nothing. I presume this, this guy was put on during the Trump Organization's case in chief. No, for, the, for this guy, McConney, uh, to throw himself on his sword... For them, and in point of fact, McConney, uh, it was his fourth day testifying in six weeks. And in fact, a member of the defense counsel team about whom we have not yet talked, mostly it's been Chris Keis and counsel for the parking garage, Alina Havana Havana Havana. Uh, but the direct examination of Jeffrey McConney was handled by defense petty fogger Jesus Suarez, 
you can almost see Justice in Goron watching some of the testimony and putting his little head in his hand and going, Jesus, and yes, Your Honor, uh, Jesus Suarez, a senator named Jesus Braunschweiger will come to you. Yeah, he's corrupt, but they're all corrupt. At least this one doesn't make any bones about it. Sorry, the in-laws. But he, uh, he he said he gave up, McConaughey did, he said he gave up the job that he'd held for so long. And he, he said, uh, I had 35 years in at the company when I quit last February. I'm very proud of the work that I did. And then he reeled off a list of cases in which he's been called to testify. And he said, I just wanted to relax and stop being accused of misrepresenting assets for the company that I loved working for. I'm sorry, he said, his voice trembling. And he retired and got a half a million dollars in severance money. He's testifying after a grant of immunity uh, was provided by the prosecution. At the criminal tax fraud trial. He admitted that he broke the law in order to help his pals in the company avoid taxes on company paid perks. Trump Organization was, of course, convicted, and the case is under appeal. Uh, he said that, uh, among other things, that he overvalued the boss's penthouse by $20 million because of the value of Trump's celebrity and that he valued Magaloco as if it could be sold as a private home, even though there is, a, there is contractual language in place that says it cannot. And then he said, uh, you know, look, this is, this, is an in, this is an inexact science. It's more of an art, really. There's no right way to determine valuations. He said, I think everything was justified. Numbers don't represent fully what these assets are worth. And everybody else was comfortable with the valuations. To be hit over the head every time with a negative comment over something is just really frustrating. And I gave up, he said, and, 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 and just ta flipped his hands in the air before him. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time dredging up a bunch of tears. So we have that. And since it is Titanic Tuesday, we also have a Mark Wayne Mullen sighting. Mark Wayne, because it's one word. Uh, you remember the, the, the big uh, butch, badass former MMA fighter. If you want to see a picture of him on January 6th, uh, you can see him uh, a photo of him hunkered down behind one of the desks where he looks like a dog trying to pass a peach pit. And now that he has, now that he may, so thoroughly embarrassed himself, 
in his uh, confrontation with uh, Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters. Well, people are taking a bigger, longer look at Mark Wayne. And so people have put out uh, photographs, among other things, photographs of Mark Wayne at his Senate, Oklahoma uh, Senate debate. It's, in fact, one of the tweets that Sean O'Brien sent out that got him so head up. It's a picture of Mark Wayne standing on a box behind the podium in his debate so as to seem to be as tall as his competition. He's not. By a good four or five inches looking at the uh, looking at the box. And Sean O'Brien's been trolling him and it works, you know, Mark Wayne has what we call here donkey ears. You, you can you can tug on him and he'll bray. And so uh, Sean O'Brien has been, every time he mentions Mark Wayne, he hashtag little man syndrome. And so now Mark Wayne is uh, pissing and moaning today, saying that uh, the diesel fuel for his very, very, very manly pick-em-up truck it was four dollars and sixty-eight cents a gallon, and 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 so you know that's obviously uh, yeah, Joe Biden's fault, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, for his four dollar and sixty-eight cent a gallon claim. Uh, Cody McCauley is running for Congress in the 4th District of Oklahoma, Stan. And he said, gas is the lowest it's been in years, and the average in Oklahoma is three ninety-five for diesel. It's down to two eighty-five for regular, which is fantastic. What you refuse to acknowledge is the fact that inflation has gone down to 3% from a peak of 9% and continues to improve. Ow. And then folks really piled on. A little man with a big diesel truck, not surprised. You have to sit on a phone book to see over the dash. Do you have a ladder installed so you can climb in? And then it went on to point out, you know, Congress could, uh, could, could, could create price controls, not that you're a member of Congress or anything, Mark Wayne. Another person on that website that used to be known as Twitter said, Why does a pencil neck like you need an F-250? Your choice to drive a diesel guzzler. Don't expect the government to bail you out. Just get a second job. If you bought an F-250, you should have expected that filling it up is going to be pricey. What in the past 20 years made you think gasoline's going to be cheap? But everything's cheaper because of Joe Biden. 
And then other clowns like former member of Congress Jason Chaffetz yesterday on Fox News TV Radio Rwanda said, I paid $90 for a turkey. Really? Because, quite candidly, I stood in the grocery store the other day, and I looked longingly at turkeys, because I don't have anyone to cook for anymore. It's just Annette and me. And that's where the joy comes from. It's not the eating, it's the cooking. So fun to, it, it's so fun to be part of a process where, you know, people join together in camaraderie and share food and it's very quintessentially human behavior, you know. But I checked out the tur, you know, I found a, the biggest turkey breast they had was, came to like not quite $20 and that was a huge one. We'd be gnawing on that for a month of Sundays. And even the great big brand name Butterballs were nowhere near ninety dollars, Jason Chaffetz. I mean, maybe that's the maybe that's the price out in Utah for the heathens. Just guessing. Uh, $4.68 a gallon. Steve in New York says, that's not the price of diesel. That's his 4 feet 6.8 inches of height. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah, you moved the decimal point. Ah, he's a hobbit. And, you know, this morning as we were driving to the doctor's appointment, I got passed by a big, loud pickup truck, jacked up lift kit, diesel pipes, and apparently no no mufflers whatsoever. Went roaring past me in the pouring rain. God, it poured all day today. There, like felt like howling winds. It was cold, wet, nasty. And the guy roared past us, and before, because you know I talk in the car. Get on down the road, you and your tiny penis in your tiny penis truck. Vroom, vroom. I mean, you know, right? You just know. As to, uh, as to Rosalind Carter, Matt in San Francisco says she was a class act. Can you imagine, I, I, see, hive mind again, Matt. Can you imagine where we would be if we only elected Democratic presidents since Carter? We might be on 100% renewable energy. Maybe avoid some of the beginning results of climate change we're currently living through. Maybe avoided a couple of wars. No tax cuts for the wealthy and civil rights. Heaven knows how far we could be right now. Oh, girl can dream. I know. Unfortunately, we have, that's what we, we, we dreaming, dreaming. Because the eight nightmare years of Ronnie Reagan were not the shining city on the hill uh, that are, are portrayed or that were fantasized in the advertising at the beginning, in the first place. And, uh, the accountant, the, uh, McConney for the Trump organization, Matt writes, I was just making up numbers and giving Mr. Donald Jessica Trump whatever he wanted. Everyone complaining and saying I should have known better, just don't know how fabulous and all-knowing Mr. Trump, my God and Emperor, really is. 
I know, they just, they don't. Because they, they, he's, he's that fabulous, isn't he? $90 turkey, Lee in New York. Available from Mike Lindell because it slept on my pillow. That's quality. Yeah. And Theo says, uh, how many fathoms deep is Mark Wayne? I suspect he fulfills the thought in the 70s parody, parody Deteriorata. Remember that wading through the sea of most souls would scarcely get your feet wet. Paraphrasing a bit, like most other people, I was stoned when I heard the original. Hey, it was the 70s! I know, I know. And the 70s were, the 70s were followed by the go-go 80s. Hardly get your feet wet in the sea of souls. How many fathoms deep is Mark Wayne? That's good. That's quality, Theo. And uh, Randy Radar pointing out the outfit that produces ChatGPT is in turmoil as its board ousted its chief founder as hundreds of its key employees threatened to quit. Outsiders said it may be a monumental business blunder. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm not. Apparently there are. There are two competing terms, or not competing, but two terms for how one responds to, to uh, AI. There are boomers, not boomers like we think, that, uh, Kai Bama. Now, there are boomers, and those are people who think, oh, you know, chat, uh, uh, AI is going to revolutionize business. It'll, it'll change everything. It's going, to, it's going to change the way we look at the world. AIs will create new medicines. And then there are the doomers who are like, ah, y'all, this is Skynet, and those fucking computers are going to try to kill us sooner or later. I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I'm, I'm really not, not particularly interested, not because I'm a Luddite. It's just that as is, it's, this is a creation of a... This is, this is a, something created by humans that didn't self-spawn and to the extent that it crawls the web to come up with its answers, yeah, I really don't. Do you? I don't want a medicine that has been developed by AI, because it's probably going to have aardvark antifungal in it if it's depending on if if it's reading the internet in order to come up with ideas. It's like, hey AI. Give me a cure for COVID, and it's going to come back and say, well, put some onions in your sock and drink a pint of pee-pee. It's good enough for Bobby Kennedy Jr. So, hmm. We'll see. Uh, I, I love. I, sometimes you just see something and you love a quote. Uh, 
if the if if media reports are to be believed. Then uh, thing, times are not good. For the uh, Ron Monkey Up DeClantis campaign. Not good at all. There. On the way to broke. Their staffers at the DeClantis Never Back Down Super PAC. are fighting amongst themselves. And uh, their top consultant, a guy named Jeff Rowe, has been bickering uh, and squabbling with a never-back-down board member and pal O. DeClantis, Scott Wagner. They were trying to figure out how to get past Nimrata Haley... At which point Jeff Rowe said, you have a stick up your ass, Scott. And because he's tough and he's bald butch and he's a Republican, and he said, I said, uh, 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 Scott Wagner replied, why don't you come over here and get it? And he stood up from his chair and then two other board members had to restrain him. I guess they I, I guess they saw the shenanigans in the House last week and or Senate last week and were duly impressed by the show of manly masculinity of manhood. So uh The pull quote coming out of this is that people giving money, one, never back down pack, um, splintered, and three guys went off and formed their own super pack. Not going to mention the name of that pack because they don't get, you know, no. You, you want to mention, pay them, you know. They want their stupid super, right wing super pack to be mentioned. But, you know, send a check. But that pack raised more than $700,000 already as of yesterday. And uh, speaking of NBC News, one, one DeClantis donor said, I'm a bit agitated these guys have spent all this money for no return. And when Never Back Down comes at me again, I'm gonna be I'm not gonna be so inclined to give them money. And then added, and this had to hurt, you don't just keep throwing money at Radio Shack. (laughs) 
of course, the real the, the the real person running for president is actually it's it's not Monkey Up. The brains of the outfit is Casey, and Casey DeClantis is pissed that Nimrata Haley is taking up all the oxygen in the room when her little hubby should be the real shining star. (laughs) Brother Deacon Asa. And that is some fine food porn, Brother Deacon. That's gorgeous. Looks like a little bit of smoked smoked salmon, maybe? Some slaw? How to get past Nimrata Haley? Dead fucking simple, Ron. Rocket skates, you moron! Absolutely. Okay, Balmer Bob. Cowbell. Say what you will about the state of the DeClantis campaign, but you have to admit Ron managed to raise his stature with his six-inch heels. Those are stripper platforms. So I didn't I didn't know I, I didn't know until he had the article that we talked about just I, I didn't know that both I knew Monkey Up was a little guy I didn't know Mark Wayne was a hobbit and now you know It being a Tuesday, I'm just kind of wandering around looking for the absolute most stupid possible stories. Daryl Hall is suing John Oates. Blue-eyed soul in the courtroom. I have no idea what I just I just saw the story. Oh no. Uh the suit is filed in Nashville, not Philly. Okay. And it's under seal. That's the weird part. It's under seal. And because the Philadelphia Inquirer can't resist, they said, it can only be seen by private eyes. They're watching you, watching you, watching you. So we don't know if the partners have, in fact, grown out of touch. And it was filed in Chancery Court in Nash, Vegas, because that's where Oates lives. And the lawyers aren't saying anything. Well, I'm trying to come up with a pithy uh, song title response, but no.
uh, monkey up the Clantis, Matt in San Francisco, says he should sign on with a cowboy boot company. He could do commercials for white go-go boots. It might catch on with the Ford F-150. That's an F-250. The Ford F-250 crowd, yes. Little Fisher-Price ladders to attach to the truck. Marginal Trailer Queen's book is being met with uh, not exactly rave reviews. Toilet paper's cheaper. That was one take. Oh, well, thank you, Ralph. Uh, I don't know if that's the cause of the suit, but... John Oates explains why Hall and Oates won't reunite, says their hits have overshadowed other great songs. Uh, Thank you, uh, you, Ralphs, for serving as the Horn Hall and Oates Ad Hoc Research Department. And Cassidy Hutchinson, uh, yesterday evening, showed up on uh, Jen Psaki's program. And she offered up some mm, trenchant observations. She has settled into what her role, you know, what she perceives her role to be of Trump administration truth teller. And she she appears to be, well, she says that her former boss knows exactly what he was doing and he's going to keep doing it. You know, y'all, they're going to do it again. 2022 that he would have gone in a minute if the Secret Service had let him. A few months later, in testimony before the January 6th committee, former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson, who's sitting right here with me, told me told more of the story. When the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the off-the-record movement to the Capitol was still possible and likely to happen. When Bobby Head relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it, it's not secure, we're going back to the West Wing, the president had very strong, a very angry response to that. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. Now recently released audio of Donald Trump speaking with Jonathan Carl of ABC News reveals that Trump thought he'd be welcomed by the violent mob. You told them you were going to go up to the Capitol, were you just... I was, no, I was going to, and the Secret Service said, you can't, and then by the time I would have... And then when I got back, I saw I wanted to go back. I was thinking about going back during the problem to stop the problem, doing it myself. Secret Service didn't like that idea too much. So, so what? And I could so, have done that, and you know what? I would have been very well received. 
I would have been very well received. Just remember those words. Joining me now is former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson. Thank you so much for being here with me. Every time I watch that footage of you testifying, I just think of how courageous that was and how much poise that required. So I hope when you watch it, that's how you feel as well. But I wanted to talk to you about Trump's words, because we heard Trump's lawyers today, earlier this morning, downplay the impact of his words. That was essentially their argument. And yet January 6th is, of course, a glaring example of people following his direction. You talked about this a lot in your book. Do you think he recognizes the impact of his words? Uh, thank you for having me, Jen. And yes, I absolutely, I, I believe that he knows the impact of his words. And I believe that because I've heard him say it. Mm. And I think when you know, You've heard him say, I know people listen to me. Or yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's evident, too, from just how he's been able to get away with how often he has tweeted and the rhetoric of his tweets. You know, Donald Trump knows the impact his words have. He knew when he put out the tweet on December 19th, 2020, when he summoned the mob to come to Washington, D.C., that he was going to expect a crowd. That's why he continued pushing and pushing and pushing that rhetoric and pushing those invitations to all of his supporters that ended up coming to, J to Washington, D.C. on January 6th. So when Donald Trump says something, I think that we as a nation do a big disservice to our own constituents and our neighbors when we don't take what he says at face value. That's so important for people to remember. You, you talk in your book, you write about the impact of Trump's words. I mean, this is something you kind of explore, including how Trump's tweet about his vice president on January 6th promoted chance of hang Mike, Mike Pence, something that is haunting every time I hear it. You also write that, according to Mark Meadows, Trump said he deserves it. That's really scary. It's still scary to hear. Are you nervous? I mean, you know a number of the people, former colleagues who are going to be witnesses. Are, are you nervous about their safety when you hear Trump's words and you see what he's doing out there publicly? Yes, I am. And I, I know from my experience, too, you know, the American people should not ever have to live in fear of retribution from a president of the United States or a former president of the United States. A president is here and is elected to protect the people, not to incite violence on those people. I think about myself, but more importantly too, I think about men like Rusty Bowers, who was cornered mm -hmm. in his home. I think about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. I think about members of Congress Georgia, on yeah. the January mm -hmm. 6th committee who needed security details, or even up until a few weeks ago during the speaker's race, how there were members who weren't voting for mm -hmm. Jim Jordan, who had violence unleashed on them and they are Republicans just because they were not planning to vote for the individual that Trump had personally endorsed. This violence is, has become unfortunately somewhat normalized in our society. Mm -hmm. And I know that I don't want to raise my children or have to explain to my grandchildren why we let America get to this point. It's such an important moment to think about where you are. Now that's kind of where I wanted to get to that statement right there. Unfortunately, this violence has become kind of normalized in our society. Concur in part, dissent in part. There's no getting around the fact that violence has become much more frequent in our country. But I think to say it's just generally normalized in our society, that's, that's under-described. 
because the fact of the matter is January 6th normalized right-wing violence in this country. I know, I know the maggots like to say, but the Black Lives Matter, but the riots. It's not the same. There was no goal of overturning gov- the government of the United States in the, 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 the manifestations of outrage over the murder of George Floyd. The lynching of George Floyd. And now we see, I mean, here we have it today. We see that apparently standing up and hauling up, you're hauling your belt up around your belly button and all right, you come over here and take a stick out of my ass, buddy. We, we see that last week's violence has become this week's you know, posing. And that this, this is what we mean. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go deep into this. This is what we mean when we talk about toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity that's, that, that, that thinks that somehow one may bluster and, 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 and shove people on the shoulders and saying, you know, why don't you get up and come over here and make me? That, that somehow or another that's, that's manhood in America. Yeah, I know. Uh, Matt pointing out something similar. Violence on the right might be accepted. I don't see a bunch of Democrats pushing folks around. No. Uh, generally speaking, it's not Democrats who are shooting up schools. It's not Democrat. Well, okay, I don't know how this guy votes, but... I saw the story earlier, and it's like, ah, oh, i got to work that into the program somehow. Oh, by the way, we have a, uh, you know, we do get astute political analysis on this program. Because this is a very astute family community congregation. So in answering the question, uh, talking about, you know, Casey DeClantis being upset that Nimrata's taking all the oxygen out of the room away from her little hubby. Uh, Arnold says uh, the reason why she's doing better Nimrata is she looks way better in boots and then wait for it Nimrata Haley is the only presidential candidate who could absolutely sell feet pics yeah, there went just a minute past 6 p.m. in the Eastern Standard Time Zone, and there went dinner in the Central uh, Standard Time Zone. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what's going on on other radio broadcasts in America today, but on this one, we have Nimrata Haley and Feet Picks in the same sentence. The password is Nimrata Kinky Boots. Ah, then. But I, like I said, I was going to find a way to get this this story into the program. It's the holiday season so here in uh, almost level West by Cole, Manchinistan. And so things will be getting zany 
and probably pretty intoxicated over the next few weeks. A, uh, a man, Dale Martin, is presently cooling his heels in the uh, regional jail up around Monongalia County. Because on Sunday, no, yesterday, 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 uh, the uh, Mon County Sheriff's de- de- deputies and the West Virginia State Police were called to a home where there had been a, 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 a reported domestic dispute. For once, it wasn't some guy beating the hell out of a woman. Take our little victories where we can find them. No, Dale Martin got all upset, and and he told the deputies so. Dale's 53 and is from Morgantown. And as the deputy explained it, Dale Martin grabbed a 22 semi-automatic rifle and fired a couple of rounds at a staircase where someone in the house had been standing only moments before. He fired the gun into the staircase where I'd just been. And uh, I guess Dale was feeling a mite cranky because he he called uh, he called a witness earlier today and said, uh, "Yeah, I just fired the gun into the staircase where he'd just been." Called him earlier in the evening, and stated, "I just shot it." Victim's name. Don't think I won't get the 12 gauge and blow his fucking head off. Bad billies, bad billies. What you gonna do when they come? No. And then there's the. Uh... Oh dear, I'm in trouble again. Well, let me. Okay, Dale Martin. I, well, the, the the deputies and the state troopers asked you, well, why, "Why'd you want to squeeze a round off at him?" The assholes ate all the tacos. Oh, really? He's charged with attempted murder, and he's in the North Central Regional Jail because he sque- because he he shot at somebody because they ate all the tacos. Now, I don't know if they, in this case, refers to more than one person or if that person was perhaps non-binary. But apparently Dale is right fond of tacos. Maybe he should give up the guns and move to somewhere that has a lot more tacos. They ate all the tacos! Bang! And, and, and the Fife and Drum Corps comes out, and we celebrate the liberty that is afforded law-abiding American citizens to keep and bear arms and defend all the tacos. At least he was apparently, I don't know, I don't know if he was drunk or if that was just a warning shot. Don't think I won't get the 12-gauge and blow his fucking head off. <sighs> I know, I know. Uh, uh, sorry, Matt. Uh, Nimrata. Uh, thanks for the visual of Nikki Haley and thigh-high sparkling red boots. I'm sending you the bill for that hour-long therapy session to get that out of my head. 
I, I have a feeling I, if we actually tallied up the meals I've ruined and the therapy sessions I've occasioned to take place, it ain't pretty. Sorry about that, Matt. Now you've now you've in in turn you have sent me the image of Imrata Haley and sparkling red thigh high boots and I am not the better for it. And the problem uh, in this country. What problem? I thought he said it was like a tourist visit where they stayed inside the ropes. So it was a tourist visit or was it a problem? And a problem so big it needed a personal appearance by the president to fix? Between the smell of gas and the bright lights, I can't seem to orient myself. The only thing more frightening than Trump are all of his supporters. Not to make a direct comparison, but it reminds me of that one bumper sticker, Matt. Jesus, save me from your followers. I mean, it's true, right? They hate all the tacos. I mean, there are some things up with which a man must not be forced to put. Oh, and uh, today in Boy Geniuses, ah, oh dear. So when he got called out for his anti-Semitic shitting on his web platform, Shitter, businesses started staying away from Shitter in droves. A couple of big accounts said they would no longer advertise on Shitter. And so, as a consequence, uh, Leon Scum declared that he, by God, would file a, and I wish I was kidding, but I'm not, because we're talking about Leon Scum, and he's an idiot. He's going to file a thermonuclear lawsuit because advertisers are not walking, but running to the exits to not advertise on Shitter because it's a toxic hellhole. Uh, who is he going to sue, Leon Scum? Uh, Leon is going to sue Media Matters for America, which is, by the way, a journalism or, uh, or operation. Because it was Media Matters for America who pointed out that IBM's ads and the European Commission's ads and various other corporations' ads were appearing adjacent to anti-Semitic and pro-Nazi posts, because that's mostly who's on shitter these days. In particular, it found that uh, IBM, Apple, Oracle, Comcast's Xfinity were all 
uh, had their ads placed alongside anti-Semitic content on Shitter. IBM last week said they suspended all their advertising because they happened to notice that their ads were put next to uh, posts that said Adolf Hitler and the Nazis were great guys. Everything to uh, everything, everything from uh, great replacement theory to outright Hitler fan uh, Hitler fanboy stuff. And so, uh, Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, Comcast, Lionsgate Entertainment, Paramount Global have also decided to. Uh, Take a break from advertising on Shitter. And so on Saturday past, Leon, Leon Scum, derpy Batman villain that he is, let the world know that he was not going to take this line down. And this is this is how how you win back the love of your major corporate advertisers. Many of the largest advertisers are the greatest oppressors of your right to free speech. Oh, they're going to love that, Leon. They went on and said, The split-second court opens on Monday. X-Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack on our company. Uh, Angela Carasone is the president of Media Matters. He's been on this program in the past. Distant past, but the past. And Angelo is not one with whom the likes of Leon Scum really wants to bandy words, because Angelo is smart. Far from the free speech advocate he claims to be, Musk is a bully who threatens meritless lawsuits in an attempt to silence reporting that he even confirmed is accurate. Musk admitted the ads at issue ran alongside pro-Nazi content we identified. If he does sue us, we'll win. IBM described the whole thing as an entirely unacceptable situation. Apple and Lionsgate said the same. So, a thermonuclear lawsuit. Now, I, granted, you know, I wasn't a law reviewer or anything, but I did pay attention while I was having my cup of coffee in law school. And uh, the rest of the, and I'm not part of it, but the Horn, uh, the Horn Family Community Congregation Legal Brain Trust can check me on this. Um, is 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 thermonuclear lawsuit? Part of that one rule of civil procedure that says there shall be one form of co- one form of a cause of action, and it shall be called a thermonuclear lawsuit. Is 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 that it? Is that what we're talking about? Flavio tells me Leon Scum just filed the suit. Um. 
can't wait to see. The, the suit seeks actual and consequential damages from loss of revenue to have Media Matters cover X Corp's legal expenses and for Media Matters to pull the article from everywhere the group published it. The only problem with the suit is that not only can anyone, repro- anyone else reproduce the report's results with trivial effort, but the suit itself seems to confirm the findings. He must have Donald Trump's lawyers. This kind of this kind of has counsel for the parking garage written all over it, doesn't it? And back to the taco guy. Uh, uh, Matt says, uh, "I'll bet he can empty out a Taco Bell dining room by walking in the front door. Scuff marks on the tile from the scurrying patrons." Yes. course there's clearing out a taco bell and there's clearing out a taco bell if this was a fight over taco bell i'm going to be really upset because you know real good street tacos can be had in west virginia Uh, but they're rarer than say they might be in other parts of the country And so maybe maybe if he was upset about them having eaten all the good street tacos from the street taco truck. But, uh, West Virginia. How is it that a guy uh, shooting at people over tacos winds up right next to, to a story about Leon Scum suing a journalism organization for actually reporting journalism stuff about his seedy little uh, social media platform. Irony! And so we are into the uh, second hour of the program by about a quarter of an hour. The $65 Turkey Day Doubling uh, Turkey Day Doubling Challenge, courtesy of a, a kind internet anonymous friend, is on the table. That could raise us uh, $130 if folks would like to meet that. And that would get us down to $900 even, fundraising-wise, and we could maybe keep moving and keep paying bills. So thanks for that challenge, and hopefully folks will respond to it on the line right now because we were talking and realized that it's been a, it's been a while since we have, have spoken, is my dear, dear friend and podcast host and entertainment professional, uh, Dan Fisher. He of the Talk 10 Let's Talk 10 podcast, which is really quite taking off, I understand, and, and, and since it had been a while since we had spoken, uh, I invited to Dan. Uh, I invited Dan to pop by for a little chat. Been too long, my friend. It's been way too long. I can't remember what was happening the last time we talked. At least the world is still turning, and fascism hasn't uh, necessarily taken over every aspect of our lives just yet. Yeah, just so, bits uh, and pieces. La- yeah, la-di-da, things are going okay. How about you? Good. Uh, in fact, the last time you were on, we were talking about the launch of Let's Talk 10. Ooh, yeah. Well, yeah, you were my second ever guest, my wife being my first. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I kind of have to thank both thank you and apologize to both of you for being my canaries in the coal mine. You, you really were uh, test subjects for me to figure out how to do this thing and could I do it at all and uh, 
would anybody listen and all of that and and the answer is yeah you know there's definite learning curves and i think the show is better now overall i think i'm better at it than i was when i started you know you you were great aline was great and uh yeah it's it's happening now the show is called let's talk 10 and pardon me a moment <coughs> I have my water here, like us podcasters do, right? Absolutely. Uh, next to me. And, uh, yeah, it is starting to, uh, I don't know, take off is the right word, but people are starting to notice a little bit. My listener numbers have gone up quite a bit since it started in July. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's It's almost double what it was for that first month. And I still haven't reached my first stair step which is to get to to a thousand downloads a month uh once i do that i can uh then start to get some advertisers on board and that won't be quit your job money but it'll be something i would certainly love to have a capitalist yeah hey if i'm gonna live in the capitalist society i might as well might as well do capitalist things right I ain't giving mine away. I don't know about you. I just heard you pitching for bucks just a few seconds ago. Guilty as charged. Ms. 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 Paragon of Virtue. Yes, non-commercial, non-capitalist. Onward to the barricades, comrades. That's right, international and all that. But uh, I've I've had uh, quite a, a time since I spoke with you. I guess that would have been in July or so. Um, so, you know, certainly in the world, things have happened and I know you've been covering them well. Uh, but for myself personally, you know, I was involved to an extent in this ongoing entertainment strike with the writers and then the actors. I was involved in that I wasn't able to work because those guys were striking, but I definitely supported what they were doing. And I even walked a a couple of picket lines here and there uh, to show solidarity. So there was that, and uh, we can talk about that a little bit if you'd like. And uh, And I would. uh, Yeah. uh, Oh, sure. You know, why not? And then Helene and I went to Paris for the first times in our lives. It was the first time I'd ever been to Europe, and we did that in August. Uh, We were supposed to have gone in March to celebrate our 30th wedding, wedding anniversary, but we had some delays and wound up going in August, which turned out to be a really wonderful time to go late August because it wasn't hot, it wasn't unbearable, and the tourists had kind of mostly dissipated. So it's not like we had the run of the town, but it was really great to just be able to walk around and and see this marvelous jewel of a city. And 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 I really loved it. I love the Parisian lifestyle. I don't know if this is all of Europe or perhaps all nations besides the United States, but one of the things that really impressed me about Paris is that wherever you go, it's expected that you, when you enter a store or a restaurant, you say good morning or hello. And the people who own and work there say hello back to you, bonjour. And when things are done for you, a, a glass of wine brought to your table or uh, English menus brought to you, you say merci, you thank people. And when you 
are done with your food or, or browsing through a bookstore, as you leave, you say, you know, you say good night. You say, you know, uh, like, <laughs> what am I saying? Au revoir. Au revoir. A bientôt. Uh, yeah, there's lots of different ways of saying goodbye, but you acknowledge each other's existences and you show a little bit of humility to, to say thank you for doing what you do. I know. No, that I, and it's, it's not, it's not, it's not just France. I mean, I, I experienced that in Germany as well. Uh, and yeah, yeah there's a, uh, I love the phrase because it's just, it feels so sincere to add Herzliche Wiederkommen. Which is, you know, basically heartfelt welcome. Not just, mm-hmm. hey, welcome. Herzlich willkommen. Heartfelt. Wow, and that just comes out of you like a Wagner opera lyric, that what you just said. Wow, well, I'm, I'm German. I should, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of German in my blood. Well, I'm part German too, and I'm a little bit of a Swiss miss. So, you know. You got mini marshmallows floating through your veins? I wish the marshmallows were larger, but never mind. We're waiting on that. <laughs> Surgery may be involved. Well, I could certainly clog the arteries to have marshmallows, so maybe you're okay. Swiss miss. Sorry, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, and this strike has certainly endured for a lot longer than any of us had originally anticipated. But it was necessary. You know, the business is changing. Businesses are changing and we're a part of American industry every bit as much as auto workers are or people who work in the Hormel meat packing plant. We create a product. In our case, the product is entertainment starring big time movie stars. And we help to create and package that product and sell it to the worldwide public. And we make you know, middle class to perhaps even upper middle class incomes doing that, while people who uh, who distribute the product and help finance the product make a shitload of money. So yeah, that's a that's complicated financial term, a shitload of money. Yeah, I don't know if they teach that to you in economics school. No, no, no. You have to go. You have to go to the Harvard School of Business to learn how to calculate a shitload of money. Well, and it, it depends who you are and where you come from in terms of what is a shitload, right? As as they say in the movie Chinatown, you know, how much money do you need? You know, how how much more food can you eat or something to that effect? I bet you know the phrase exactly. Uh, you mean this? Why are you doing it? How much better can you eat? What can you buy that you can't already afford? That one? That one. See, I'm not just going to bring lightweight, frothy entertainment to your show this evening. I'm going to bring a little bit of uh, social justice warrior crap to it as well. Bring it all. Hey, bring it all. It all connects. Everything. Well, it does. I mean, I, I, you know, you know our pal Tracy out, uh, the the lady cabbie out in Southern of course. California. Well, she's. She's much more than a lady cabbie, but yes. Oh I yes. Know, I know well, of Tracy. Oddly enough, we were we were having a conversation earlier today while I was waiting on Margie to come out of her doctor appointment, and lo and behold, the question of how do you feel when you watch Chinatown, it being such a great movie, and you realize that some of Roman Polanski's kink is actually in the film. Hmm. Or it, it 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 feels like it is, you know, when she's when Faye Dunaway starts explaining what was done to her and what's being done, 
And yeah, she's my, my mother, daughter. my sister, my sister, my mother. Slap, yeah, slap. she's my sister. She's my daughter. She's my daughter. She's my sister. Slap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just how the universe works. You brought you, you just brought up you 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 just brought up Chinatown. I didn't do it, and yet there was Tracy. There were Tracy and me earlier this morning talking about it. Go figure. The universe well, is a strange and interesting place. Yeah, it's the only one we got, so we might as well stick around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's definitely something that's always on my mind as for my podcast and in my life is that intersectionality of popular culture with the important real life stuff. And also the big question for me will always be, why does this stuff matter to me and also just really to us, the collective us? You know, and I think part of that is that there's certainly momentous things happening every day all over the world, some of them tragic, occasionally uh, good things, wonderful things happen. But there's a lot of shit going down and there's only so much we can do right to control it. I'm very concerned of what's going over in, you know, in Gaza, you know, what happened horrifyingly to, to, so. What happened to spark this and Israel's response to it? And there's no real – I may get in trouble for this, but I don't see heroes and villains in this. I see a lot of fucked up dead people and political leaders making decisions that will kill even more of those people in the name of acquiring a land that right now they're turning into a big – smoldering cinder but i've been to the i've been to that land i've been to gaza i've been to israel wow you had uh, i had no idea that's the one time besides paris that i've been out of the united states if you don't count canada is that yeah in our early well you just cost me the canadian contingent dan thank you if you don't count canada you know because canada doesn't count Oh, let's t- that's very Fox Newsy of you to take a, an innocent offhand <laughs> statement and twist it into Dan Fisher is a villain. <laughs> Are you saying that because you like Taylor Swift, you support that? Bu- no. Why does Dan Fisher hate Canada? He hates America and Canada. Uh, no, I love Canada. Can- Canada's so you very, went to so you went to Israel and Gaza back during that uh, that 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 thirty year gap in our friendship, right? That's correct. Okay, That's before yeah. Helene and I got married, we got married in ninety three, so this must have been the early night, very early nineties. And a friend of ours who has a certain amount of money uh, decided to do a trip to Israel and take a number of his friends. In fact, we were part of a contingent we were i think we had some amount of sponsorship as well by by some organization or another we were meant to represent the american film industry and we did a trip to israel and and egypt and but part of the you've seen the the you've seen the pyramids along the nile yes and i still belong to you darling oh um but yeah so we uh, we'll edit that out in post there (laughs) <laughs> That's the thing. This is live. Unlike my show, this is live. Work without a net every single night. Yeah, she's in the she's in the front of the house, and that is. 
Okay. Ah, sorry. It's just it's Thank been a while. This stuff piles up inside me, and you know we get to talking, and all the silly has to come out once in a while. Take it easy, Princess Punster. Um, so yeah, I was making some point or another, but I was making about trying to make six points all at the same time. I'm juggling plates here like I'm on Ed Sullivan. And uh, of course, all of your listeners, I'm sure. No, you visited well. Israel and Egypt, and you were representing right. the film industry. And that's right. Well, here's a funny story too about representing the American film industry in Israel, because that was part of the deal. It's like, okay, I think I think some amount of our travel and so forth was covered by some organization, with the caveat that we would go there and do a couple of panel discussions, participate in panel discussions as representatives of the American film industry. And so there was me representing the below the liners, I guess, and my friend Todd, who was the person that really got this thing going. And he's a writer, director, and, a, and an actor. He's been in a number of movies that you, you'd have recognized his face if you saw his face. And we had a producer. We had a playwright. We'd also written screenplays. So we were representing American film. And we get to Jerusalem. Uh, or no, Tel Aviv. We get to Tel Aviv, where our first symposium is to be held, and we meet our Israeli counterparts, and we can see right off the bat that they immediately hate us because we represent that crass, bullshit Hollywood movie system that makes just these these pieces of commercial garbage with no redeeming qualities whatsoever other than to merely entertain the little people. And they they let us know it, too. This was no we, – we figured this out not only just by their body language and the fact they were staring at us like we stunk of, uh, of too much cologne. They told us to our faces that, that, you know, you think that American movies and Hollywood movies are these wonderful things. Well, they're just commerce. And what we are doing in Israel is, is creating art. Right. And so what we proceeded to do was we sat down and, and, and watched a bit of a mini screening of portions of three different Israeli filmmakers. And again, this is early 90s, 90s so I'm not meaning this to be any kind of criticism. Toward no, 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 no. This is just story time. Current. Yeah, this is story time. The current Israeli political regime held by that wonderful, uh, most wonderful of human beings, Netanyahu. Uh, this was 1991, and at that time, by the way, too, when we would travel around the city looking at the sites, everywhere we looked were posters and billboards for American movies. There was Eddie Murphy movies, and I think Wayne's World was really big at that time. And you barely saw any homegrown movies. It was all big-time Hollywood product. So that, that could part, partly explain the resentment toward us that – the Israeli audience didn't really want Israeli filmmakers. So we sit down and we watch these three, like 10 minute portions of artistic Israeli filmmaking endeavors. The first movie comes up and it's a, basically a Romeo and Juliet story about a young boy, young man who's in the Israeli army who falls in love with a young Palestinian girl. And their families hate each other because, duh. And yeah, the conflicts that arise from that. And I think I think they might have died at the end. We didn't see the whole movie. So we watched that. It's not very well shot or staged, but it's a strong and valid point. You know, let's give peace a chance. We know that one. 
The second little 10 minute snippet shows up and it's the story of a little Israeli girl in the Israeli army. Get where I'm going here? Who falls in love with a Palestinian and, boy. Yeah. And their forbidden love causes all kinds of pro- problems. And eventually, I think one of them might die. And then the third film is both two families Israel, Palestinian, boys and girls, falling in love, angry parents, bloodshed, the works. And they were so proud of these. And I, I, I can see being proud of the message, but they were shitty films. Come on. I, I can admire. <laughs> okay, we get to, get, so we get to the, we get to the bottom of it. They sucked. It sucked. And you could say what you will about an Eddie Murphy movie. I think at that time, The Golden Child. Remember that one? Yes. It's a big movie. Oddly enough, I thought of that movie or just it yesterday. Been, it might have been Beverly Hills Cop. It was Eddie during his. I'll show up at a shopping mall if you pay me enough money phase. Yes. You know, he's trying to sort of redeem himself a bit artistically now. And I think he's one of the most talented human beings of my adult life that I've seen on a movie screen. I mean, I don't think he's fulfilled most most of that potential and perhaps, you know, not the best scripts and projects have come his way. But, yeah, there was some shitty Eddie Murphy movie that was all the hit of of downtown Tel Aviv and Jerusalem if the um, posters and billboards were any indication. But I can tell you that as much as those movies have no message of any value other than shoot people if they get in your way, sleep with as many gorgeous women as you can, and you're always going to win at the end because you're Eddie Murphy. Still, in terms of craftsmanship, now granted, these are like you know big-budget Hollywood movies, they had it all over Romeo and Juliet on the Gaza Strip. They just did. And if I had to choose one, I got to admit, you know, if I'm going to sit through two hours with the popcorn, I'm going with Eddie Murphy. I'm sorry, but it's true. And and I, I know there are wonderful Israeli films. There have been wonderful Palestinian movies. There have been, there have been wonderful movies from all sorts of political atmospheres. And I don't mean to demean or, or denigrate international film in any way. I have a tremendous amount of respect for it. God knows. So that's, I'm just, I, my story has no point is where I'm going. And I'm trying to make sure I don't sound like a, like a bigot. Like a crank? Like a crank. What is it with these kids? Well, you know, Matt in San Francisco. Music? Matt in San Francisco did chime in and Canada hater. I want to see if he has maple syrup in his cabinet. So, you know, there's that. Well, we do. We've got Vermont maple syrup because my daughter, April, lives there. But uh, whoever chimed in from San Francisco, I'll, I'll have you know um, that both of my children, who are now adults, uh, went to McGill University in Montreal, which I now think is one of the most wonderful schools uh, in the world. And I loved being in Montreal. Uh, there's a lot of Canada I've not explored. But uh, Montreal is aces with me. And McGill was very, very kind to us when I had my heart transplant. Uh, You know, there was a lot of concern where the kid's going to have to drop out of school because daddy's not going to be able to work for a while. And McGill really stepped up. They they heard Phoebe when she came in to talk with them. And uh, they helped us out a lot. And they gave both of my kids Harvard level educations at state school prices you just can't that's wonderful that. I wish, and of course I wish it's it is, it is the holiday season so while we mentioned yeah uh, there it's 
it won't be long until we'll we'll all yeah. be watching Yukon Cornelius again. Silver and gold. Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. And how about a squirt gun that squirts jelly? Absolutely. <laughs> well, the kids are coming tomorrow for Thanksgiving. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, Phoebe's taking the train from D.C. April's driving down from Vermont. And uh, it's going to be wonderful. And uh, <coughs> pardon me a second. <coughs> Water break. See, I'm used to being able to just chop out all yes. the coughs and the ums and the you knows. Here on, on God live. knows when we did when we did our Let's Talk Ten, there was a lot of you knows you knows and ums and it chopped and out. And digressions and digressions and tangents. I think ours was a two and a half hour discussion that I whittled down to forty five quality minutes. It was quality. The, I, I listened to it absolutely. on the I listened to it driving back from Tennessee to home, and it just made Bless the it heart. made the it made the miles whiz by. Well, yeah, and that's a great testament to your skills and your uh, your just overall trans. I don't know what trans. I was going to say translucent, trans something. Yes, trans, yes, always. Right. Yes, we all know Dan. She's trans. Okay, we get it. She only talks about it a lot. Yes, no big secret. Oh, Jesus, your host is actually a woman. Your humble hostess. Yes. Deal with it, uh, world. But no, you have a vibrant, you know. You, I, 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 there's words for you that I'm not, I'm not conjuring up right now. So that's okay. Let's leave the conjuring aside. I was just blowing. How about it to say I, I would gladly blow smoke up your ass at any time, any occasion. <laughs> Somehow that's a little problematic too. But that's fine. We understand the spirit in which it's ordered. Literally, lady. Yeah. Yeah, we understand the spirit in which it's offered. Yeah. So, uh, is, is, is who's doing the cooking? Well, everybody's doing the cooking. We're going to meet at my, well, I guess my nephew too, my wife's nephew, Greg, and his wife and their darling little one-year-old. They have a house out in Long Island. And so Helene just sort of decided, we're all going to Greg's this year. And when she informed Greg and Judith, Greg's wife about this. They were amenable. So everybody's bringing a little something. And Helene, being who she is, has organized the whole thing. She's basically assigned dishes to people. She's field marshaled it. Yeah, and she's not let people get away with, well, I'll just bring a bottle of wine. No, you won't. I'm bringing a friggin' casserole. And, a, and this, you're not just bringing a bottle of wine or some, some ring dings you bought at the gas station on the way over. you got to contribute if you want to eat. So she's been very good about that. Well, that's 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 right. That's downright John Hagee. For those that will not work, neither let them eat. Starve. Oh, well, and I should ask ago. as well. At Trois for Thanksgiving. Um, we I, I went. Uh, my pub had their little uh, friendsgiving, and it was a great gathering last night. So I cooked for that. We're probably not going to do much. I'm probably going to try to do. Uh, I've got the makings for a pan of dressing, maybe make some mashed potatoes, and pondering. Pondering maybe a chicken breast, but my smoker isn't put together yet, and I'm really I'm, I'm really spoiled. I like my turkey smoked. What's well, funny? I was at the Home Depot the other day buying a few little odds and ends to repair stuff in the house, and the guy ahead of me was uh, asking about um, getting a five-gallon uh, container 
and I think peanut oil for his uh, deep fried turkey. So, you know, I, who you knew know, that you could all, go to Home Depot to shop for your Thanksgiving needs? Abs- absolutely. I, and I, I never, uh, Brother Deacon Asa did, but I never worked up the courage to do the deep fried turkey, even when I was doing, you know, macho turkey fixing stuff. No, because just I'd seen too many disaster videos of, hey, y'all, watch this. I'm going to fry a turkey. And the next thing you know is you see fire trucks and a house, you know, that's been reduced to a pile of ash and rubble. So, and I'll be honest, taken out of the viewed in the proper context, that stuff's hilarious. It's not if you're there, it's not if that person's your father or your husband, but in the right sort of Jerry Lewis, Three Stooges kind of context, that can elicit a few laughs. Oh, you'll feel bad about later. You know, Schadenfreude is a powerful thing. Hello. Oh, it very much is it, because it's it. it I mean that's that's comedy. Uh, our pal Joy in Ann Arbor posted the pic, the uh, clip of Larry Moe and Curly preparing Thanksgiving dinner, uh, and that is that's an eternal classic. I should rewatch that classic. One pinch, <laughs> Curly pinching the salt. Yeah. I, yeah, I've seen that. Does a turkey wind up on somebody's head like a like a mask kind of thing, or is that some other old? black and white comedy that i'm remembering i can't remember this was colorized though and that was kind of interesting no it doesn't work the only time colorized three stooges works is in that 20 second clip and it's a mad 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 world yes <coughs> other than that i don't like it with the three stooges I, 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 no my, white. yeah my favorite line like from it, mad, mad 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 world and the uh buddy hackett speaking talking to uh ethel merman I get along with everybody. I like everybody. I hope everybody's happy, but not you, lady. I hope you drop dead. Yeah. Hackett's hilarious in that. That that face that he makes when they're in the airplane. Yes. Mickey Rooney and Jim Backus, and and, and he's being told over the over the uh, intercom that you know you can fly this plane. You you have the skills. You can do this. And he puts on this big, lovable, baby-faced grin with the wide eyes. It's just great. He and Jonathan Winters are my favorite, too, in that. I mean, there's a lot of things to kind of not like about that movie, too. It certainly doesn't portray women in the best of light. But nobody's portrayed in any good light in that no, movie. There are no, all, there, are, there are really no assholes. good people. I mean, that's that's what makes it funny. It's like everybody gets what's coming to them in a most hilarious yeah, fashion. Much. Yeah, but the women are all shrews and nags. Which yes, was kind absolutely. Which was popular way of taking the piss out of women in the 1950s and 60s at that yeah, time. Yeah, because God knows the women needed to be brought down a notch. Absolutely. They they, they needed to be reminded who, who was king of the castle, right? Yes. No queens. Okay, so no queens. In case anybody thinks that they've just tur- turned into the Joe Rogan show for a minute, this is not. We do not endorse these viewpoints <laughs> at all. No, we do not. I mean, given that one of us is a woman. Because if you didn't figure it out by now, Robin is trans. Okay. Did I tell you I'm trans, Dan? Because I am. I, I don't know if you've mentioned it on your show or on Facebook or anything lately. <laughs> but yeah, come to think of it, I think you're trans. I may be. I may be. Uh, no, th- well, uh, and you know, no, this is not the Joe Rogaine experience because, among other things, I'm I am not nearly as pink as he is, and I don't even look remotely like Shrek. 
whoa, we're going for personal criticism. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't pee on him to put out a fire. Why not? I agree with you. Let him burn, baby burn. <laughs> but there was there was an original point I had about 20, 25 minutes ago. Let's let's see if I can figure out what it is. Anyway, uh, yeah, so so things have been OK with me uh, being around the house all the damn time. Helene and I are still married, uh, given it has its better I'm, days, sometimes not so great. Yeah, but it's it's a nice little sort of rehearsal also for the day where I really will officially retire. Uh, I'm going to be around, hon, and you better start figuring out how to live with that. And I needed to figure out what to do with my time. And this is where I'm going with this, too, is that the podcast, Let's Talk 10, has really been a godsend for me, a real reason for me to get up every single day and get to work. I've, I had no idea you did, but I didn't. I had no idea how much work this would take to have my own podcast. Because first of all, I'm doing it every week, once a week, every Monday, I've got the, the, the top 10 list ones. Those come every other Monday. And then I've been doing these, what I call mini episodes in the alternating Mondays. And so all of those take a certain amount of preparation and I thought with the minis, it's like, oh, I can just stash those off in a, in a couple of hours and stick them in to just sort of make time until the real episodes show up. And no, I had no idea. Some of the minis have taken more time than the supposedly real episodes of the show. Once I do all of this mixing and editing, I'm doing it all. I have I've got no producer like you. I mean, it's a, it's a one person operation here. I've got no producer. I've got no editor, no mixer. No social media promoter. It's all me doing this. And I'm 59 going on 60 in March. So there's a, a definite learning curve to it all. How to do this garage band program, how to create promotional little promotional videos that I post every Tuesday that I make out of snippets of the show with little video things or little slideshow kind of things. And also just how to spend my time productively on social media to try to get people to listen to this thing. I put all this work in. Why won't you listen to my show? Please, please. Just, go I work so hard. It, it, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. You, it's okay to beg. Uh, you can't. This proud. is, this is that community. Go, please. Yes. Please. I implore you. Listen to the Let's Talk 10 podcast. Subscribe to it. Mash that like button, y'all. Leave a comment for the lonely algorithm. And here's the best part. It's free. It's totally free. Yes. All it takes is a click. And if enough people click, I will eventually get to uh, get, I think, an average of 10 cents per, I think, a thousand clicks. <laughs> Some crazy amount. Yeah. D don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it is. <laughs> you. It, it, it is like Professor Tolkien once said, it is a tale that has grown in the telling. And He's getting there. I, I have not caught every episode, but I have caught most of them. Well, thank you. And I, I find them, I find them decidedly in because it's, and and I know that's not necessarily your goal, but it's like a little respite. I can just think about something else and take enjoyment from it because, you know, you 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 traffic in, and that's a bad way to put it, but no, you. 
your focus is not on the everyday, day-to-day horrors in uh, in, in, in which I bathe. Mm-hmm. And, we all do. <coughs> and it's a it's a it's a it's a chance to step back and just <sighs> take it, take a deep breath and just enjoy something. I have a question for you from Ralphs. Will okay, there be? Uh, Ralphs wants to know. Will there be a Christmas Let's Talk Ten? One hundred percent. I've already got it uh, in the uh, in the database. I mean, I've recorded it. Uh, there, I haven't edited or mixed it yet. Um, my daughter April, by the way, who is also trans, for those who are unfamiliar, April is a very talented musician, amateur, totally amateur, and she created my theme song, Let's Talk 10, theme song, and for the Halloween episodes that we did a couple of weeks ago, she and I collaborated on a spooky Halloween-themed kind of Let's Talk 10. We added lots of uh, minor chords and, and, and spooky noises. Was there a theremin? So, <clears throat> well, there was something of a theremin. There's me, too. I do a three-part vocal, multi-track vocal, where I harmonize with myself. Again, I'm totally, I'm going to do it all myself, right? I'm a real, I'm a real prince, right? I'm a, a real artist known as prince of podcasting here. And so I did three separate vocals, importing a falsetto one, blended them all together to go, I'm going to try just a very basic version of it right now for you. It goes, let's talk ten. Oh, very nice. Yes. Multi-track, so it's a little kind of like Queen in in their in their songs. And uh, so yeah, we did that and we're going to do that again while April is home for the Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to work on a holiday sounding kind of version of the theme song with jingle bells and all kinds of stuff. And I interviewed a very, I don't know, famous but kind of famous pop culture writer named Will Harris who <clears throat> was one of the staff writers for the site AV Club for many years before AV Club decided to fire all its staff writers and replace them with interns and use uh, feeds from public relations people as supposed news articles. And so Will is, a fan- Will is a fantastic writer and interviewer. His specialty is he's interviewed everybody. He used to do this series for AV Club, and I'll get to the point again. Uh, his series for AV Club was called Random Roles, and he would talk with people like Terry Garr or uh, or somebody that had done a lot of stuff, you know, like 100-plus credits on their IMDb, and he would bring just up everything from their most famous roles to, like, their very first roles. Like with Terry Garr, they talk about her days as a, uh, as a go-go dancer on I, – I, I think the monkeys, she appeared on the show, the monkeys as a go-go dancer. I, I think she might've been on laugh in too. And we'll certainly talk about laugh in soon. Cause that, that bleeds yes. into to my promo efforts here. But anyway, Will is a, just one of the best. And through the miracle and magic of Facebook, I contacted him and I said, Hey, would you be willing to do a show with me? And he's like, sure. Because as it happens too, Will is, uh, the co-author of a book that's just out that's the oral history of the making of the movie Airplane. Oh, my. And it's it's Will and the, and the Zucker Abrams Zucker team 
that just recording interviews with all kinds of people and Will taking down all the notes and editing it and assembling it into a book. And I read the book. It's fantastic. I think it's called Surely You Can't Be Serious, an oral history of the making of the movie motion picture airplane or something to that effect. It's available in bookstores and Amazon. I'm plugging something that's not in my own. I'm that much of a unpaid fan product Will, placement, y'all of Will Harris. And he so he came on to do my upcoming holiday show, which is going to air, I think, the, the week before Christmas Day. As it happens, Christmas Day falls on a Monday. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to have the Christmas episode on Christmas Day because I don't know about you, but when I get together with my family, you know, I'm not going to like, hey, everybody, let's all huddle around and listen to this podcast. I mean, or, these aren't or the days worse, that- uh, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to stick I'm going to stick my uh, 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 ear pods in and go and be antisocial and listen to a podcast. Yeah, yeah, we hate that. We hate that. We don't put up with that. And um, yeah, and, and this these aren't the days of Jack Benny. You know, we're not going to all hang out around the radio and listen to to Jack in Rochester. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So the Christmas episode, holiday episode, although honestly, it's mostly about Christmas because Christmas kind of kind of runs ragged over Hanukkah in a lot of ways, and Kwanzaa. But uh, that's going to be on the week before Christmas Day. And we're going to talk about our top 10 favorite holiday related movies TV shows, specials, music, anything oh, fun. of, I know, I didn't call you, I had to go with something. No, 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 I'm not being jealous, no, it I can't fun. wait to hear I know. it. it is fun, it's going to be, it is going to be fun. I mean, we already okay. did the no, nobody wants a Charlie in the box, I mean. It, it, this is true, and you will be on the show, I, I, I hope that we can have you back on the show sometime or other. Oh, I, I'm, but, you know, anytime, I'm, I'm starved for attention. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and so we had uh, my friend, our mutual friend, Sam Pancake, for the Halloween, one of the Halloween episodes. Yes. Where we talked about Sam's favorite made-for-TV, 1970s made-for-TV movies, horror movies. I know I'm saying that badly. But uh, there happened to be a lot of them, you know, like Satan's School for Girls and Killdozer. And so we looked at scary movies from a very humorous point of view because Sam is just one of the funniest people in the world. He's hilarious. It's hilarious. And then we did a second Halloween episode that was much more serious with a writer friend of ours named Felice Niels. And so we talked about horror movies in a more straightforward fashion of what our favorites were. So what I've discovered is that, yeah, holidays and certain themes, it's fun to go that direction. And it sort of steers my schedule. Like I've got a real schedule now for this show. Like I'm already planning episodes for february which is going to be black history month right right so i want to do stuff that really focuses in on black popular culture and p.s this white boy here ain't going to be exactly leading the discussion you know i'm going to bring on i still i I always want to no matter what month it is have a diverse array of guests right black white of any kind you know you've been on uh sam is gay uh, I, so I, I, women, I, I think I've had more women than men as my guests. That's by design. I want to have a diverse array of voices and opinions. I don't want, I never wanted to make this just another white guys having a podcast about their favorite movies and TV shows because there's already a lot of them out there. And I like a lot of them too, but just cause I like them doesn't mean I have to do my own version of it. 
So I definitely was, and and I enjoy that. I enjoy wanting to have, I enjoy having all of these different voices. My kids, when they're here over the weekend, we're going to do our own podcast episode, and that's going to come out. The Fisher Family Podcast. Well, you know, if you've got talent and it's right there. Use it. You might as well use it. And I, this goes back to the diverse array of voices. They are in their young 20s. And what we're going to talk about with here, with the old man here is songs that make me want to dance. And that means a lot of different things to different people. And especially if you're a 70s kid that I was growing up in the age of disco and eventually the earlier days of hip hop. And then their generation, which has known basically hip hop as Pop music. Yeah. That they're, that's the main form of pop music. And so we each made lists. They made, well, they made 12 altogether. And so I made 12. So they're doing six a piece. I'm doing 12 because it's my damn show. So I, I get to do that. And we're going to talk about our favorite songs that make us want to dance. And what's surprising, we, we, we veered a little from my usual format because again anybody who hasn't listened to my show let's talk 10 which is available on spotify apple podcasts overcast and my own website which is let's talk 10 podcast.com or you can become my facebook friend because god knows i'm plugging the show pretty much every day on my facebook feed including links but um i had a point to this oh yeah the usual oh, you're ve- you've gotten show. very good at that by the way you just worked that you just worked the plug in organically it's perfect it flowed yeah yes. yeah well step right up folks step right up think you don't need this hair tonic well you're wrong my friends you could use this hair tonic and a little bit of snake oil on the side and if you if you return it uh tomorrow i'll give you your money back and these free bamboo wind chimes just for listening to let's talk then yes the bamboo you wind chimes P.S. You will not receive free bamboo wind chimes. Please disregard. They are. The, they will all be lost in the mail. That's right. They'll be lost in there the mail. There will be no Good. tracking number. Or lost in space. One of my favorite shows. I still like lost in space more than Star Trek. I know this is another act of, of, of heresy right here. I've already demeaned Canada in the past. I have demeaned Grateful Dead fans on your show. Now I'm, go- I'm gunning for Star Trek fans. Which there aren't that many out there, are there? No, not um, many at all. I mean, uh, this only happens to be a program that has an obligatory Star Trek reference every program. So you just well, accompl- you just accomplished that. I don't not like Star Trek. I, I enjoy Star Trek, but it's the same way I love the Family Circus comic strip. I love Lost in Space because I love cheese. A good, healthy hunk of cheese, a, a slab or slice or ch- chunk of cheese. Knew you were going there, too. Down. That's where the mind goes, right? Yes. So, and when I was a kid, I preferred Lost in Space. And I'll get back to the point. Don't worry. As long, um, as, you, preferred... as, as, long as you don't go uh, wax rhapsodic over, uh, uh, what was it? The, the, the submarine was the sea view and, and an, uh, you know, um, uh, an errant... Air bubble could oh. wreck it at the bottom of voyage to the bottom of the sea. Yes. Voyage to the bottom of the sea. Nah, I wasn't. See, I liked shows that had kids on them when I was a kid, right? And Lost in Space, the hero was really Will Robinson. I mean, they figured out on that show pretty early on. Nobody cares about the grown-ups. The only grown-up they care about on that show is Doctor Smith. 
Oh, Will, help me. Help me, Will. Save me. That's what they want. That and robot. Yes. So I love that stuff. And Warning, Will Robinson. A, and also, just P.S., there was not a lot of kissing on Lost in Space. Every once in a while, the teen daughter would meet up with like an intergalactic boyfriend or something. Yes. But most of the time, it was Will, Dr. Smith, and the robot finding people in crazy-ass costumes with the zippers in the back, pretending to be space aliens. Well, they're not really aliens because it's their planet. The Robinsons are the aliens. And, and, and nobody kissed. Star Trek, lots of kissing. You know, they get hit in the face with some spore. And the next thing you know, they're all on this Edenic planet where they're all kissing and they're all frolicking. And eventually, spoil sport, Captain Kirk tells them, no, we must go back and, ex- and, and complete our mission. And this world is too idyllic. We need conflict. We need to have things to worry about. That's what makes us human. And everybody goes, OK, you're right, you big party pooper. And they all get back on the ship for next week's show. So I like that. Obviously, I've watched a few episodes, but yeah, I'm a lost in space guy, I admit. But format, format of, of, of Let's Talk 10 has, has been for the regular episodes, at least, that our guests, like you and I, we create privately a top 10 list of something that we each want to talk about in pop culture. In the case of you and, and me, we talked about songs that mention famous people or people from history and we each came at it from our own points of view so my choices tend to be a lot poppier i had like an abba song in there waterloo things like that you tended to go for the thinkier stuff you know i think it was uh what was it al stewart and paul simon more contemplative things yeah you know you you had a couple of bangers in there i don't want to i'm a nerd it's okay it's okay but that's what's great on my show there are no right or wrong answers. There is no better or best or worst of anything. I'm never going to do a show about making fun of stuff. I'm never going to do a show about things I hate. This is, and, and this refers to something you were talking about a little while ago. There is so much shit out there right now in the media, whether it's on podcasts, whether it's on, certainly on the internet, a lot of hate, 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 and people declaring themselves and their own personalities based on the things they hate. You know, you might not like Taylor Swift, but if you post a thing, if you're my age and you post something about Taylor Swift where you say, I wouldn't pay a nickel to hear her play in my living room, you know what? Fuck you. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. Because I know that the Beatles and the Rolling Stones were great. You know, I know that... Kurt Cobain and Pearl Jam, those were great too. Yeah, Paul Paul was cute, but not Paul Taylor not Taylor Swift cute. But if you tell me that hip hop ain't real music, if you tell me that Taylor Swift has no talent and she all she writes about is her boyfriends, I'm gonna push back on that. And yeah. I'm by no means I'm by no means a Taylor Swift stan, as the kids put it. You know what that means, by the way, Stan? I, yes, I do. I, it took me a while. Great. But I, I, I sorted it out, and I also understand simping. Ooh, I don't know that one. See, I'm trying to keep up. Tell me what the kids mean by simping, by the way. Uh, it, it is to be hopelessly besotted with. Ooh, that's good. Uh, to the point of just almost embarrassing yourself with the degree of adoration one puts forward. 
Yeah, we don't need simpering, and we don't. I, that's the I thing. Get, that's the, that's the thing. It's not the same thing as simper. It hmm. means something totally different. That's what I originally thought. I thought it had it somehow was a, a short form of simper, but it isn't. Right. But listen, so I, I have no problem with stan culture. I mean, I'm sort of a stan of everything. I don't focus in on I'm not a Swifty. Right. But I, I don't demean anybody who is, you know, I don't demean stands because I love Stan. I love Stan Pittman, who's my childhood best friend. Yes. I love the song Stan by Eminem, who I think inspired the term Stan. I think that's where that comes from. Probably. And, and my feeling is I think that you love Stan Laurel. Stan Law, but I don't think they're referencing Stan Laurel when they say I'm a no, I'm a Stan no, of this no, no, or that. No, 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 no. I think well, right. have you heard that song, Stan? Do you know that song? Yes, by Eminem. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's such a fan of of Slim that you know he kills him. He kills his wife and himself because Slim won't re- respond back to his his. It's 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 a wonderful, tragic, terrifying. Yeah. Horrifying song. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably be a Swifty at this point, but I just don't know enough of the songs because I'm a geezer also. That's the thing. I'm trying, and God knows I'm trying. There's only so many hours in the day. I'm trying to just keep my eyes and ears open to everything. Like, I did go to see uh, the reissue, theatrical reissue of Stop Making Sense in my local IMAX theater, by the way. Ooh. And it was fucking amazing dude it really was and i it's a cliche i'm gonna say it i saw things and i noticed things in that because it's as big the, the projection is as big as a building i saw things i'd never noticed before little glances that tina would give to david or oh here comes the guitar that that where that just sort of came out of nowhere no the guy crept in with it you can see him in the corner it's a magnificent it's the best doc uh, concert doc of all time but before that movie started, they showed the trailer for the Taylor Swift doc that's just coming, the concert doc for her. And it looked fantastic. I mean, a total opposite of Stop Making Sense. You know, it's not a bare stage. It, it, it doesn't seem to have come on, excuse me, one song at a time and all of this. It's not a group effort. It's all about Taylor and her dancers. But Taylor is the focus the entire time. Whereas Talking Heads Stop Making Sense is really... Yes, David Byrne is the leader, but it's a really democratic effort by everybody. You know, you have uh, – I'm blanking on his name, and somebody will yell at their computer right now. Bernie Worrell from Funkadelic is there doing synthesizers, and you have the lead guitarist from the Brothers Johnson, one of the most underrated funk bands ever, playing guitar next to David Byrne. And Tina and Chris and and, and Jerry Harrison – it's it's a real group effort with a wide range of sounds. Whereas Taylor is Taylor. She's going to bring you two, I'm assuming, two to three hours of Taylor because that's what people want. They want her on the screen 95% of the time. And she's great on screen. She's a very charming young lady, if I may say so. Uh, and I'm like, damn, I want to see this movie too. Yeah. You know, I want to see the big explosions. I want to see the, the dancers spinning on their heads I want all of that because it looks entertaining as hell. And if you were to say to me, well, I ain't ever going to see that, well, fuck you. <laughs> Why? Why would you not right. want to be open to the idea of, of something new that's entertaining? And it won't change your life, but you'll come out of it two hours later, I'm sure, probably happier than you came in. 
Yeah, my daughter and I were talking earlier today over lunch, and I said, you know, I hate going to the movies by myself. I mean, uh-huh. I can do it. It's just kind of, uh. And she said, well, let's start having movie day. Because I had said, what I had said that got that started was, I really want to see uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh-huh. But, yeah. again, kind of like Oppenheimer, it's a commitment. It's a commitment. But if you got somebody to commit with you, you can make plans, right? You can right. Say, okay, we're gonna, it's a three-and-a-half-hour movie, right? And I don't think there's an intermission for Flower Moon, at least. So let's do lunch before us. First, let's let's get some food in our system so we're not going to, like, wig out in the last hour. No, and and so that maybe we will be less tempted to torment ourselves with the huh, delicious but god-awfully horrible movie theater popcorn. Which is incredibly high in salt. You might as well just start. Right, you, know, you just next- open up the Morton box and pour it down. Dude, go to your hardware store, pick up some rock salt, and start pouring it in your mouth. That's the same as eating that damn popcorn. Yes. And it's delicious. It's delicious. Oh, yeah. And you put, you know, you put extra artificial butter goo on it because, well, you know, you're a you're a you're a heart transplant patient. Why wouldn't you? Not cardiologist approved. Let's just say (laughs) nine out of ten. Nine out of ten cardiologists have the fan tods at the mere mention of movie theater butter. Right. And it makes you very, very thirsty when you eat it. So, of course, you have to invest in a, hey, how about a $9 cup of soda? <laughs> well, why not? And the last film I saw in the theater was the Barbie movie. I did. I saw that. That wasn't the last one I saw. I I, I had a great time. at the Oh, Barbie. it was wonderful. But I, it, it blew my mind because the, the last time I'd been in a movie theater was pre-COVID. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't realize that they had they had found a way to... To eliminate the jobs of countless tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of teenagers working working at the movie theater in high school. I mean, that was that was eponymous. You know, that's uh, that's the the what's it, what's the nerd guy in uh, uh, in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, he's, he wears the little wears the little you know usher livery and everything. Well, there were like two people working in the movie theater, and one of them was the projectionist. Yeah, and projectioning, it, it isn't like the old thing of like, oh, you know, hold on, folks, I got to get this spool uh, untangled. Nope, it's all digital. It comes to you. It's just a big television show, really. It's yeah. television at a much more social level. Uh, but and this, so you know, I had my to, dad. It's, it's like uh, I saw an article the other day saying Walmart and Target and others are rethinking self-checkout. I'm like, well, it's about damn time because I don't appreciate having to do the Walton families work for them. Absolutely. Uh, and so there, there was nobody in there, and there was, there, there was like, there was a kiosk where I paid. I served myself my own soda. The only, the only person who did something for me was to hand me the popcorn because they haven't figured out a machine right. for that yet. Although I'm sure they exist in Tokyo. I'm sure. Because they're everything. And, and you know, PS2, just to side sidetrack for just a second too. Today I saw the headline. Chaos at OpenAI. Do you know about that? What's going on there? Yeah, Randy Radar mentioned that earlier. I mean, it's it's well, they're, they're in full headline, on meltdown. Right. When I saw that headline, I'm like, good, you bastards. Yes. You know what? Why you can you can all be replaced by an algorithm for what I'm for as far as I'm concerned. You know, uh, now you can get a taste of your own medicine. Replace you guys with some machines. 
And that's that was that's similar to one of the comments I had, by the way, during the writer's strike when, you know, one of the issues is still and, and with the actors and the writers is, well, we can start replacing people with A.I. It's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe the people to, to replace in the entertainment industry aren't the people who create the products that you know reflect humanity and a sense of humor and a sense of adventure. Maybe the, the, the people to replace are the executives who are making 25 to 100 million dollars a year at their jobs. But what are they really doing that an algorithm couldn't handle? They're, they're analyzing data. They're looking at trends and they're deciding where to invest their money. And how to how to properly dis- distribute and schedule movies, right? And well, and, and you can boil that down to figuring out which sequel to make, right? Yeah, which yeah, exactly? That's the way it is nowadays. Which which version of Marvel or sequel or which reboot should we invest a hundred to two hundred million dollars in? That's all. That's all the decision making is now. There's no more days of like. Gee, mister, I've got this wonderful original script here, and uh, I think it'd be perfect for Jack Nicholson. It's like, nope, nope. Has it, uh, do we, are we already familiar with it? Does it come from an existing property? Does it come from a toy? You know, uh, does it come from another movie that was, uh, where's the product tie in? Yeah, where's the product? Where's the synergy? I mean, we've been talking synergy since the 80s, and this is just one more fruition of it. And that's the miracle of Barbie, by the way. It's one of the reasons I, I really enjoyed it. I was expecting it to be shit. I know I'm cursing a lot. Tonight. No, you're, you're fine. You're fine. You're you're actually yeah. be, you're actually below below the uh, uh, the basic average of the program. So fear not. Okay, but it wasn't shit. It was really well made and witty and clever and yeah, had stuff to say about the patriarchy and all of that. Although, P.S. My Younger daughter, Phoebe, who is uh, s- very feminist and and so left of the dial that she makes me look like Barry Goldwater. She mm-hmm. felt that Barbie did not go nearly far enough or seriously enough in addressing the issue of patriarchy. And she's not wrong. No, it, it, that's no, but I mean, uh, to the public going to the mall. Yeah, look, the, they you that that film taught the word patriarchy. It was like a, it was like a Sesame Street episode. Today's letter is P, and P is for patriarchy. It, right. I'm, I'm, and I'm not I'm not taking anything away from the film, no. but it was it was introductory. And yeah, honestly, yeah. honestly, the very ending of the film was. I, I I I sat and let the credits roll and just laughed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's great. It's uh, it was it's the movie of the year, really. I mean, Oppenheimer was great, but really, honestly, the movie that kind of defines 2023, that's Barbie all the way. Yeah. And it should. And it's funny. I had not originally planned to go see Barbie, but I was late getting I was late getting to the screening of Indiana Jones. Mm. Which, yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about another, you know, franchise, which is certainly worn down its gears. Let's just say. But it was surprisingly well made. I'm sure it was fun. Yeah, it was. It was I mean, it was it was predictable. It was it was an Indiana Jones movie, but it was executed yeah. really well. And frankly, the CGI they did to create young Indiana Jones was freaking amazing. Yeah, but I I for one really wouldn't mind being surprised every now and then going to the movies, and I think that that's actually kind of a minority point of view. 
I think that uh, a lot of people now feel like, well, if I'm going to leave my living room and I'm going to invest the money that it takes to go to the movies once you get that delicious, nutritious popcorn and the parking and the babysitter, I don't want to take chances. I want to know that I'm going to be entertained or in the case of Oppenheimer, which did very well, too, made a lot of money. It's like, OK, I'm going to get something big out of this, something life, perhaps life changing. But there's no room for surprise anymore. There's no, hey, let's just check out a movie. Any any old movie will do. No, right. no I mean, and, and, and post pandemic, I think people are. What, what, what can I say? How can I say this? They want big boom, big explosion, big visuals, and they don't necessarily want to get dragged down into their feelings. That's right, which is very, very different from, let's say, the 1970s, when you and I came of age as moviegoers, when, believe it or not, I mean, the big movies, like huge blockbuster, making a lot of money movies at that time were things like The Sting or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was a huge, huge hit. You couldn't make those movies today, not because of anything about political correctness or wokeness or any of that bullshit. You couldn't make it because who wants to see a movie where people are just talking? Right. You know, or Jack Nicholson gets smothered by a pillow at the end. Oh, who wants that? I do, but I'm a 59-year-old guy who remembers that time. And my kids don't want to have anything to do with that, and I'm not blaming them for that. Trends change and come and go, and... If I'm going to claim to be a pop culture nerd, it's my job to try to keep up a little bit or at least give things a chance. And I may still hate it, but and I still may not like the trends of it, but I'm not going to get in the way of it. I'm not going to be able to to, to bring the American or the worldwide movie going audiences back to the days of, of uh, Al Pacino robbing a bank. That's not going to happen. No, that was that was 50 years ago. You know, that's well, like I mean, and, and look, I, look, yeah. look at look at just because we always wind up mentioning this. This is almost an obligatory uh, Robin and Dan talk thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, no, look at look at look at our beloved film Matewan. Matewan, sure. You know that yeah. that that was an independent production because you know that's how John yeah. Sayles rolls. Yeah, in '86. Yeah. You know, in and there was actually a lot of really great independent film uh, film at that time, and that's a whole other discussion. But even in 86, it's not like uh, Paramount or, or or Disney were like, yeah, let's let's do this movie about striking coal miners in 1918, where at the end, pretty much everybody dies. That'll yeah, I mean, it's like, up. yeah, it is. It's it's a, it's reminiscent I mean, of the end of see, Hamlet, for God's sakes. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, we could go see Ghostbusters or we could see Mate One. Let's go check out the dead coal miner movie. When you put it like that. <laughs> But I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to abuse my privilege right now. Um, Why? I'm going to suggest. I'm going to actually humbly ask you. Okay. To please, because I think it, it, and and this would this would be some work. This would be some big gets. Okay. But Mate One will be 40 years old in two years. Uh huh. I think you should reach out and bring some of the cast and crew in for a and, and you could make it a long form affair make it two episodes or whatever it's possible it's possible i mean i wouldn't make it two because i'll be honest i'm looking at clicks and ratings myself i know i know this is i'm this is me being all boutique right 
I would do a mini on that, and I would do that. Um, recently, Helene, you know, Helene now is starting to kind of get into the spirit of, of what I'm doing with the with my show. And so at breakfast or dinner, she'll just keep coming up with ideas. And some of them I've used of like of what could be good shows or what could be interesting guests. And she's like, why don't you reach out to John and Maggie, John Sales and his longtime partner and producer, Maggie Renzi. She's like, you ought to reach out to John and Maggie about uh, doing a top 10 independent, their favorite independent films. That would be great. Wouldn't it? And people do know who John Sales is still. So I think that would get some attention. And it would also be, I'm sure, an, an, an amazing conversation. And I certainly love independent film myself, but I would certainly come at it from a different angle than John, who was really one of the founders of, of American independent cinema. I mean, he doesn't go far as back as like Cassavetes or, or some of the others, but he's he's in the mix from OG in, indie Godfather. Yeah, I mean, the, the return of the Secaucus 7. Yeah. So, John, if you happen to be listening to this or Maggie, you know, you know where to find me. I think we have a lot of mutual friends. Just uh, give me a little ring-a-ding-ding and we'll set it up via Zoom. But that, that is something I want to talk about to, to, to further plug the show. Please Let's do. Talk 10 available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Overcast and at my website. Let's talk 10 podcast.com. Dot com. Um, Dot com. What are yours today? Uh, but wait, I'm there's starting more. To get, I'm starting to get some, with all due respect to my regular people friends who I adore, I'm starting to get interest from some bigger names, people more recognizable. I love this for you. I know where you're going. Public. Yeah, and, and so here's a, here's a story of something that happened to me just last week. Which is that, you know, here I am on Facebook minding my own business, as they like to say, and I get an IM from a person named Jeff Abraham. Now, the name looks familiar to me, and I check who is Jeff Abraham. Why do we have uh, mutual friends? Who are our mutual friends? And it is uh, from a podcast that I still adore, even though it hasn't created new episodes in a while because the host is dead. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast with co-host Frank Santo Padre. It's still available. I still listen to episodes. And the, the community that that's came out of that podcast, we're all still in touch. A number of my guests on my show have been people I've met through the Gilbert Godfrey podcast. And Jeff Abram was one of those people. And it turns out that he is a press agent. And one of his clients is a person named George Schlatter. And he I am me to ask if I would like to have George Schlatter on my little old Oh my goodness podcast. gracious. Now you know who George Schlatter is. I'm gonna just do a brief summary for those who might not quite know or remember. George Schlatter was the creator of the original television show Laugh In. Television's number one show from the late 1960s into the early 1970s. He has won three Emmys, two for Laugh-In, one for producing the Sammy Davis Jr. 60th anniversary in show business special, which was the one where Sammy had cancer and was dying. And George Schlatter got on the phone. This was the 1970s. George Schlatter got on the phone and started making calls. And he got 
for this television special to honor Sammy Davis Jr., who would die like that following year, I think. He got Michael Jackson. He got Eddie Murphy to host. He got Ella Fitzgerald and Gregory Hines to do a special tap dance number that Sammy joined him in at the very end as a finale. You know, as old and weak and tired as he was from cancer, Sammy Davis puts on his tap dance shoes. I'm starting to tear up right now just telling you this. And he gets out there and he tap dances with Gregory Hines as if it were 50 years ago because he's still fucking Sammy Davis Jr., perhaps the most talented human being who ever appeared in anything in show business. The man could sing. He could dance. He could do impressions. He would get on the drum kit and do drum solos. He was a a very good and underrated actor when he actually put in a serious effort toward acting. Anyway, George Schlatter produced that. He also produced the show Real People. Remember that one? One of television shows, first reality shows. Yes. The 1980s. And George Schlatter was also, he produced uh, the, the 1960s Judy Garland shows on television. You named it. George Schlatter has worked for them, with them. He produced one of the presidential inaugurations. He's a lifelong Democrat, but he produced, of all things, George W. Bush's first uh, inauguration in 2001 because he was asked and he figured it was his patriotic duty, Democrat or Republican, to give a decent inaugural presentation to the world for our president. So this is a man who's done stuff. He was Frank Sinatra's best friend. He gave one of the eulogies at Sinatra's funeral. I had an hour and a long hour and a half long exclusive Zoom conversation with George fucking Schlatter, 93 years old, still sharp as a tack, still very spry, fantastic sense of humor. And he's got memoirs out called Still Laughing, A Life in Comedy. And he wanted to promote the the podcast. uh, He wanted to promote the book. And he's been on the big ones. He's been on Mark Maron. He was on George. uh, uh, He was on Gilbert Gottfried's a couple of years ago. But he was on – I listened to him very recently plugging that very same book with Mark Marin, who's like the god of podcasting. Uh, you're the goddess, but let's call Marin the god. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even a lesser deity. I'm getting the same privileges as Mark fucking Marin. I'm getting an hour and a half. It was supposed to be 45 minutes with George Schlatter. But George and I were having such a great time together. And he was getting, I'll say it, he was getting a real kick out of me because I actually bothered to read the book. And he told me that. He said, and I didn't include this in the episode as I'm cutting it right now, but he told me, he said, you wouldn't believe how many people that interview me about the book never read the book. Never read the book. Yeah. They look at the press clippings. They look at the few quotes that the the press agent has sent to them. And they just read those same questions over and over. You're asking questions that nobody's asked me because you read the book. Isn't that fun? Yeah, I love having smoke blown up my ass for a change. Yeah, and and but, but if you are him or if you are somebody else out there flogging a book and yeah. the press agent sends along. I mean, I used to do these things in the early days of this program. And... I always said we're going to have to schedule the thing out because I read the damn book. Right. Um, 
So, yeah, what I decided to do, it's like, okay, well, I've got George Slaughter. Uh, we're scheduled to Zoom this coming Monday. Like, how do I make this work for the show? So what I, I did is I went through the book and I chose and, – and his book, there aren't really chapters. What it is is basically nonstop show business anecdotes about everybody. Cher, he produced Cher's solo television show for like three or four seasons. He talks about Cher. He talks about Laughin extensively, of course. He talks about real people. He talks about Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Judy Garland, Muhammad Ali, everybody. And they're just coming like a, a, a page. Every single page, there's a new show business story about a new show business legend. There's there's hundreds of stories in this 250-page book. There's at least 100. So I went through and I chose my top 10 favorite chapters from his book or top 10 favorite stories. And I knew, too, it's like, okay, he loves to talk about Sinatra because I'd listened to some of those other podcasts. Let's make sure you include a Sinatra in there. And I love the Sinatra stories, too. Let's talk about Sammy. Let's talk about Judy Garland, who is one of my still one of my favorite all time entertainers. I just have enormous respect for Judy and the talent that she has. Yeah. It's just astounding what she was capable of. And I think she was underused like Sammy Davis Jr. I think she was capable of so much more. If only that the MGM brass hadn't gotten her addicted to, to pills when she was a kid. I think she had the capability to have won multiple Academy Awards for acting and sold out Broadway shows, everything. She was just God-given talent of a level that few people on this earth have ever attained. But anyway, so I, I chose my favorite chapters, and, and I, I put it into a top ten list. So he didn't have to bring anything to the table at all. All he had to do was show up and tell the stories. You know, And some of them he has heard before. I've heard them as well on the other podcasts. But I love hearing them. It's like your grandpa, right? It's like your grandpa's going to tell you that same story that you've heard, and you're going to listen to it because you have enormous respect for your grandpa. You know what he's done with his life, and they're great stories. So, yeah, we had this conversation, and now uh, as we speak, I'm whittling it down to from an hour and a half to under an hour, and I'm mixing it. Not a lot of mixing to do because he's got a great voice and he had a great microphone system with fantastic Internet uh, capability. So I'm putting that together for this coming Monday. And it's going to be utterly delightful. I cannot wait to hear it. I cannot wait it to hear it. It is something. It is something. I'm really proud of that. And I hope this and I hope this will lead to other other openings. I think so. I, I hope so, and I think so, because I think his press agent was very happy. And P.S., his press agent, Jeff Abraham, wrote a book. I didn't realize this till later. He wrote a book I love uh, called The Show Won't Go On, which is about stories of people who died on stage in mid-performance oh. or just after. And it's a fascinating book. You remember Dick Sean, who was in some of the Mel Brooks movies? Sure. He was in a yeah. Mad, Mad, Mad World. He died on stage. Did you know that? No. It was in the 80s, and he had a one-man show. And what he would do is that um, he would start the show by – before the audience came in, he would get under a pile of newspapers that was placed on the stage – bare stage in this big pile of newspapers and people would come in and they'd see this big pile of newspapers and they'd think, well, is he going to talk about the news or whatever? And once the lights in the house went down and the lights on the stage came up, 
Dick Sean, who had been lying beneath this pile of newspaper for at least a half an hour, perfectly still, so not to give away the game, he would get up out of this pile of newspapers and start talking. And that was the beginning of the show. Now, I know you think I'm going to talk about that he didn't get up from that pile. He did. But about 20 minutes into his show, he just suddenly stops talking, falls over backwards and lands. No, he falls forward. He lands face first. And he's lying face first on the stage. And he's a comedian. So the audience, (laughs) this is a part of the act. And so, yeah, people laugh. And at a certain point, they're like, "Okay, already on with the show. We get it. You know, how long is this? You know, they think it's like Andy Kaufman, like performance art. It's not. He's dead. Dick Sean died immediately after going face first onto the floor. And people were there to see him die. That was the show. Good night, folks. No refunds. (laughs) Well, Jeff Abrams book, The Show Won't Go On, is full of these anecdotes. And I, I've read it once, and I'm rereading it right now because Jeff and his writing partner, Bert Kearns, are going to do a Zoom with me sometime next week to plug that book, which has been out for years. But you know what? You can always buy a fresh copy. You can go to the library and check it out. And it's a great book. I want people to know about it. And so with Jeff being a public relations person and a writer, I think I've got a strong ally there to maybe reach out. Uh, to, to more notable names. Um, Abram was once the press agent for George Carlin. Uh, in the last 10 years of Carlin's life, he handled his press. He's also represent, he represents, um, what's his name? Richard Lewis, Rita Rutner. Uh, I don't like him. Oh, wow. Are. So this, this guy's a California guy with connections. And given uh, that the show's going to come out on Monday, and I think Jeff is going to be very happy with it, you know, hook me up, man. Get me some more uh, interesting guests. Comedians are great because they can always tell stories with a minimum of ums and you knows. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to sh- take the show, the minis, in that direction. I'm still going to keep doing the top tens every other week, and they may not always be with famous people. And some listen, some of the most popular shows, the ones that have gotten the most clicks aren't famous people at all. There's sometimes it's just the subject matter which appeals to people. They've all done well. I'm very happy with all of them. But, yeah, I think in between those list based shows, we're going to be doing uh, some more sort of interviewee shows. And if you've got a book on a subject, you know, come on my show, plug it and we'll talk about what's in that book. And P.S. I read the book. I love to read. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Reading is fundamental. Yeah. I was going to make a masturbation joke, but I won't. You know, thank you for that moment of grace. Yes. Hello, Grace? Yes. It's uh, a myth. Yet, honey. It's a myth. A myth. Yes? Yes. I just watched that recently because we had a Muppets episode, That's right? That's why I did that. Right. And so, yeah, before the, I had a, a real-life m- person who wrote for the Muppet Show, or not the Muppet Show, but wrote for the Muppets, and also is the official Muppets historian named Craig Shemin. He is the president of the Jim, Haggis, Jim Henson Legacy Foundation and, uh, and is in charge of keeping the history of Jim Henson and the Muppets out there. And we wound up doing a two-part episode with this expert, Craig, and also, I decided, you know what, let's not just have, let's not turn this into NPR. Let's have some fan input as well. 
And uh, a Facebook friend of mine who's also a, a Gilbert Gottfried fan had been IMing me a couple of times to be like, can I be on your show? Can I be on your show? You know, as Jimmy Durante once said, you want to take this one, Robin? <laughs> no, you do this. Everybody wants to get in on the act. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Exactly. Like, okay, you know, this is a sweet kid. How about I bring this guy on? He's kid. He's like in his 30s with, a, with his own kid. But I bring Andrew on to the show with Craig. And so you get two viewpoints, right? You get the expert who knows everything about the Muppets. And you get the guy who's asking these questions that wouldn't occur to me because I'm a Muppet fan, but I don't have like posters of Kermit in my house. You know, I don't I don't collect a lot. It isn't of easy toys. being green. Andrew does. You know, Disney and Muppets, that's Andrew's thing. And, and, and when we did the Zoom, you're seeing the big Disney castle behind his, his head and all this stuff. And God bless people for that. You know, if you find something that connects with you and makes you happy, you know, it's certainly much more healthy than, uh, than uh, and certain uh, artificial stimulants. So Or murder podcasts. Or murder podcasts, which are fun, but do we need more murder podcasts? And P.S., now that I've, I'm in the podcast biz myself, I got to just say I enjoy the show Murders in the Building, but it's not a realistic portrait of how things are done in the podcasting business at all. No, and uh, did you did you happen to watch uh, – uh, and, and this is another thing for us to discuss relative to the strike, and namely the question – when will content get back up and rolling again? But if you watched Poker Face, there was one episode that featured, you know, podcasting, and there was this, I don't know, this media center where podcasters went and rented rooms for time, like you know, musicians would rent studio time back in the day. I didn't you know if that, that. I didn't know if that was real or not. There are studios I mean, that, that do that. I mean, I think if you're at like Julia Louis Dreyfus level or Conan O'Brien level. You could do that. Um, I know that Gilbert and Frank for their show would at one point they, they did it from a studio. Mark Marin still does it from his garage to this day. You know, and he's he's one of the founders of what, inter, you know, what podcasting became. We all right, owe yeah. an enormous debt of gratitude to Mark Marin. But he's still no. Granted, his garage ain't no ordinary garage. I'm sure of it. But still, he does his show from his garage so he can. He can cook his breakfast and eat it and drink his coffee and then go out to the garage and talk to Barack Obama. You know, that's that's Mark Marin. So, yeah, you can do that with the studios and all of that. You can do it as I do it right now. I'm in my daughter's old bedroom. I found that has the best acoustics in the house because it's the smallest room. Uh, the only problem I have is that it's next to the laundry room and furnace. So occasionally the furnace will come on. And that's not good sonically. But, yeah, I've got a mic that I, I bought on Amazon for about 100 bucks. Uh, somebody now gave me this sort of foam pad thing to go around it, which I guess makes things sound better. It's a windscreen. I, it's a windscreen. Yeah, that's what the pros call it, right? Yes. And then I or take sometimes my, it's a dead cat. Yeah, like a dead cat. <laughs> no, I mean, that's uh, what they I, call I, them. I swing. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I was going to say I swing those, but that's just a hobby of mine. When you you're trying to when you're trying to clear a room of, of people that yeah yes yeah exactly but it's, no it's I, I, I learned that I learned that years ago that it's uh, a distance measurement now I'm going to get the, the cat people on me I Canada, know, I know, I know. 
I know uh, it's it's like that. Hey, I need to send I need to send out a thing a, a quick thank you uh, to Todd. Todd knocked out uh, part of the Turkey Day um, doubling challenge. There's fifty bucks to go on that, and that would amount to this program um, almost doing a full day's worth of fun, uh, funding. So that's awesome. Thank you, Todd. Thank you so much. Uh, with that, if anybody wants to jump in and do the other fifty or some portion thereof, it would be greatly ap- appreciated. Um, and there's about, oh, 18 minutes left in the program. See, this is what I love about our conversations, Dan. You're so generous with your time, and we've got a, we've got a conversational rapport that extends over decades. Uh, I mentioned that whole nobody wants a Charlie in the box thing, and, you know, that was 40 years ago in, um, oh, red beards, red beards. Yes. Uh, in Sunnyside. With Which is what, a bar, what, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it, it was a it was a student dive bar that had a head shop in the back, but a bunch of us were gathered around a table. Everybody was leaving for Christmas break, and we were all weepy and listening to Nat King Cole and and uh, 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 Mel Torme and you know Christmas classics and God, I think it was Mike Gillum or was it you? Who no, pi- Mike was the one. Mike was the one that got the. Uh, Mike was Mike was a real expert at the Island of Misfits toys uh, impersonations. He got them down spot accurate all the way. But in, out of nowhere, nobody wants a Charlie in the box. So our conversations are, by definition, going to be wide ranging and it's basically two friends talking. It's not transactional. And right. I, I, pre- I appreciate the tangents and I appreciate your willingness to put up with mine. Um, oh, please. And and th- I mean I find I find it so fascinating to hear your take on beginning this process. Well, yeah, and you were part of that process too. Very a very important part of it. I mean, one of the reasons I asked you to be my second guest after my first guest was my own wife. And P.S. Our first episode, and it's still on there, and it's still the most listened episode of this podcast, um, "Strong Women in Film" with H.E. Fisher. Uh, published poet and my wife uh but that that original episode was just meant to be let's give this a shot and see what works and doesn't and then i'll start to do real episodes but we're like you know this is okay it's i think this is good enough to put on and we did and 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 people seem to like that but i wanted to have those first couple of guests be people that i could be very comfortable with and not freak out and be nervous or intimidated by, but also that I knew loved a lot of the same stuff that I loved and would be very comfortable talking about that and know that there is a place in in conversation for, besides all of the very, very important things in this world, which you handle on your show brilliantly and beautifully. Um, Blow more smoke. And, and please, by the way, and please, by the way, if you haven't, sent in a little money yet to this show tonight there's still plenty of time folks operators are standing by i'm sure the prayer line but (laughs) it's the prayer line it's the prayer line uh but yeah so i i was just very happy and very lucky that you said yes i knew that you had mic experience and had no problem filling in the the gaps with words and thoughts a lot of them two and a half hours worth (laughs) a lot of them yeah sure yeah (laughs) <laughs> but you know i'm grateful to you for having given your time to me for that and uh you know we're i think we're both very aware 
just given where we are in our lives, that time is the most precious thing we have. So to give of your time to anything other than your own selfish interests, um, that's that's a real mitzvah. That's yes. something that that we all should do, and not just about silly stuff like our favorite. I don't know, cereal commercials. But, I was going to say, you know, why did I just think, of... when is there going to be a top 10 breakfast cereal podcast? Well, I did a mini episode on my own breakfast cereal mascots. Um, that was just me. In the earlier days, I was like, well, okay, if I really want to do this thing every friggin' week, and I've got to fill in those alternate weeks between the, the interviews, you know, okay, uh, so I'll do my own things. I'll I'll be able to dash this off in no time. So I did... One of my early ones was breakfast cereal mascots, and I talked about Quisp, and I talked about Tony, Tony the Tiger and things like that. And I got into the history of it, too. I, I researched it, and I found out, you know, when did Tony the Tiger first air, you know, and who were the first cereal mascots? The very first breakfast cereal mascot, by the way, was in the, uh, the not even the – I think the early, early 20th century uh, for a cereal named Force – and I'm blanking. I should know this, but it's been a while since I, I aired this episode. But the mascot for that, for four cereal, was um, this sort of top-hatted gentle, gentleman with the walking stick and a monocle. The Monopoly and man? Kind of only taller and leaner. Think more of like the New Yorker. Oh, okay. Not Mr. Bo Brummel. By the way, yeah, kind of, you could be a Bo Brummel baby if you just gave it half a chance. Uh, but well by the way, too, you know the name of the Monopoly mascot, right? It's I, not Mr. Monopoly. No. Who is it? No, 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 I don't know. Oh, it's Mr. Pennybags? Question? I came into this with great confidence and come crawling out of it with doubt. But I think it's called Mr. Pennybags. I don't think it's Mr. Monopoly. That's just what we every. Yeah, it's a Monopoly person. man, right. No, the one, the, the one I remember. See, this is how this happens. The one I remember, of course, is "Gee, I love money" from the Game of Life. Yeah, and that was one of the very first board games in America, the Game of Life. It had a different name at the time. Uh, I didn't do a show about that that yet, but I will say too, by the way, uh, to plug one that's way in the future. I haven't even begun editing it. I, I'm going to have an episode, I think, in January about. Favorite top ten favorite TV game shows, and my guest for that is a fellow West Virginian oh. who you really should have for your show too, uh, named Adam. I think his name is Nedef or Nedef N E D E F F, and he's from Parkersburg, West Virginia, and he is probably at least this country's foremost expert on TV game shows, and he's about a decade or so younger than me. I think he's in his late 30s, early 40s. But he is a game show fanatic. He's written books. He's done biographies of Alan Ludden. He's had dinner with Bob Barker. He's sort of the George Schlatter of game shows in a certain way, Adam Nedef. And I met him the same way I've met most of my guests on Facebook, and I IM'd him. I said, would you like to be on the show? He said, Sure. And we Zoom that one, and it's sitting in the queue with all of these other shows that I have yet to edit or mix. Because I've also, too, P.S., the strike did end, as every, as most people know, the writers and the actors. Contracts have, I believe, all been signed. 
I'm still not working yet. A number of productions have resumed, and, and I'm very happy for them. I was hoping to be back to work now. I'm not. Our production, which is Severance, the Apple TV show, excellent show, mindfuck of a show, but certainly worth your time. Uh, we are going to resume season two of that in January. So I'll be going back to work January 4th. Oh, wow. So that will be a good solid from July. That makes it what? It's five months of not being employed. Thank God my wife has been doing very well with her work, which is online tutoring. Um, but that's another thing. I'm not going to plug her, uh, at least not here, because we're starting to run out of time. And she's, welcome, and she's welcome here anytime to do her own plugging. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And by the way, so, uh, several, uh, both Ralph's and Randy Radar ch- chimed in. Yes, it is Uncle Milburn Pennybags. Pennybags. I was going to say Penny Packer. That didn't feel right. No, it's Pennybags. Yeah. And that invites some very rude uh, jokes that we're not going to approach. No, either. no, we're not. We're not. We're just we're just not going. No, because we're not those kind of people. Neither. So what is the what is what is the turnaround from and and how how profound is was the was the general shutdown between the writers and the actors? How much does it take to bring productions back up to speed? I think somewhat. It depends on the productions. And P.S., it wasn't like everything was going full steam and then July, everything stopped. I mean, that was the case for our show, for example. We had been working on season two of Severance for over a year at that point because it's a very, very detail-oriented, visually precise show. So we were taking our good, sweet time to get through making season two, and we're still not done yet. But other shows, it's just a matter of uh, turn on the lights and, you know, let's get the same old, um, let's just let's just say it, you know, Dick Wolf type of show, which has the same goddamn format over and over. Let's just get that back going. And some of those shows have happened. And thank God for that. You know, a lot of my friends have been out of work for longer than me. But what I was where I was going with it, too, is that there were, you know, it wasn't like this strike was a surprise. All of us had a very strong feeling it was going to happen. And the writers out of all of us union members, the writers union, the WGA has been the strongest in standing up for themselves and standing up for an acceptable contract. Uh, My union, I mean, depending on your opinion, has kind of caved in some spots here and there. And also to listen to a lot of us were just flat out lied to uh, 20 something years ago. And we kind of knew it was lies, but we kind of went with it, which was that 23, 25 years ago, when the Internet was starting to really become a thing, when we were getting out of that AOL era into the Google era, into the YouTube era, we were told by studios and producers as we were negotiating our contracts Don't worry about the Internet and the residuals and how that's going to affect your rates and all that, because the Internet is the Internet and we're television and we're movies. And that's a very different thing. You know, you still got DVDs. And this this applies especially to actors, directors and writers who get residuals. The folks like me below the liners, we don't get residuals. We get straight weekly paychecks based on the hours we put in and so forth and what we do. 
But we were flat out lied to. Surprise, surprise. They're like, don't worry about the Internet. It's not going to be something that's going to directly affect those of you working in show business. <laughs> Wrong. We didn't believe it, but we wanted to work and we wanted to not strike. So a lot of unions and a lot of union members just signed yes or just just put the X on on the ballot and, and accepted the contracts and screwed themselves out of a lot of money. The Writers Guild knew this more than anybody. And I actually know somebody through Facebook um, who is a member of uh, the WGA executive board out in, in the, on the West Coast. And he told me, he said, this is one of the things we are fighting for now is that we know we screwed ourselves out of proper residuals for over 20 years. And it's payback time. You know, just the same way with the auto workers who took tremendous sacrifices to get the auto industry back up on its feet. You know, at a certain point, you just have to say, OK, sacrifices are done now. And we were made promises that we would be made whole by giving up things like raises on a yearly basis and things like that. Now we want our money. You're clearly profitable. The Internet is clearly profitable. It has become the means of distribution. So to not be able to receive proper residual money from that, to give all of the money to Jeff Bezos and people who don't have even any roots in show business people at all. Build, yeah, but, people who build dick rockets. Yeah, but they are now in charge of entertainment media, you know. All of them, and you know, even Netflix. I mean, the, the the I forget the name of the person who's the the big cheese at Netflix. None of these people have backgrounds in show business or entertainment. You know, it's not like the old days of uh, you know Louis B. Mayer or something like that, where they they saw saw something in a Nickelodeon and decided, well, this is the future. These are just people who it's like, yeah, technocrats. Yeah. Netflix is a well, wonderful thing. I, I, I mean, like, Netflix. like before, look, well, before you came on the air, I was doing the story of how, uh, you know, Leon Scum, my word for Elon Musk. Uh-huh. Uh, I figured that one out. Yeah, he was gonna, he's gonna file a thermonuclear lawsuit. Yes. Uh, because, because it turns out that his platform is toxic, and advertisers don't want to be associated with, go figure, Nazis. Well, let's see, anti-Semitism. Um, frivolous lawsuits out the wazoo. Who does that kind of sound like? I mean, if he turns orange tomorrow, no, don't say it. We haven't said we haven't said the name the whole episode. Let's no, we have not, and we're, we're not. We're not going to start now. Although I did have a nice, uh, an interesting observation from Brother Deacon Asa for you. And by the way, Tracy uh, just told me to say hi to Dan, my favorite white dude. So Tracy says, "Hey, hey, Tracy." Thank uh, you for accepting my whiteness for for all of the uh, and my patriarchy and all of my many sins. I try to overcome them as may, best uh, I can. To a culpa, to a culpa, to a maxima culpa. Yes. Yeah, I don't have black girl magic, so I just have to compensate by being part of a system where I was born on third base and enjoy all the privileges thusly. Yes, still waiting to be butted home in a suicide squeeze. This is correct. Uh, but brother Deacon, at least I know. Brother yes, Deacon Asa said uh, when we were talking about AI, he said that's yeah. the unfortunate misconception. It's completely unrealistic to think that AI can replace actual talent. In cases of very repetitive, mundane tasks of looking things up and summarizing information, it can be pretty useful. Other than that, AI is a fun party trick. 
Try and imagine replacing Colbert or Kimmel's writing teams with an AI chatbot. Good luck with that. The whole idea of artificial intelligence is marketing bullshit, like Hyperloop. There's no intelligence. It's just machine learning. It's machines combing through oceans of information that humans have come up with. Well, with all respect, Brother Deaconessa, I wish I believed what you were saying. I don't. And I do know that actually artificial intelligence has been operating for some time and has done some very useful things. You know, when you speak into your phone to text and it prints out the words so you don't have to press the little things to say, how are you? You just say, how are you? And it comes up as a text. You hit the button. That is all AI. And we all enjoy I think those of us, at least, who are on the Internet, we enjoy the privileges of AI all the time. In many ways, I think we're not even aware. And I also just know from – and again, you know, from your lips to God's ears, Brother Deaconessa, I hope that I'm completely wrong. I have a much more pessimistic viewpoint. I think that the toothpaste is out of the tube. It ain't going back in. And it's, it's – and, and to use another cliche, another metaphor – it is the snowball rolling down the hill. It's only going to keep gathering up more snow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it, it does feed upon itself. Is it possible that at some point or other there can be a replica replica human being that that really feels like a naturalistic in the flesh person that we can accept as a, a character in a straight ahead non Pixar type situation? And I think the answer is going to have to be could be. And you know, you we've know, been because, we've been pondering we've been pondering these possibilities going all the way back to the '80s and Max Headroom. Yeah, or even look, 1939, Snow White. The very same question was asked of animated cartoons. You know, yeah, they're good for 20 minute shorts before the real movies, but who's going to want to sit down and watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? That thing's over an hour. Well, the answer was everybody, and it, and. It, you know, spawn the empire. So I, I hope you're right. But I think that's why, you know, I know that Fran Drescher, who I'm not a fan of for her anti-vax views, God knows. Wait a minute. I, I didn't, I, wait, what? Oh, Fran Drescher's an anti-vaxxer, sure. Oh, that Jesus. was actually why she, that was why she originally ran to be president of, of, of SAG, AFTRA, is that she wanted to loosen up restrictions on, on, masks and covid uh rules well what a great idea for you well she hasn't worked as much since the nanny days i actually kind of indirect i've met fran i indirectly know her she's a friend of my friend todd the the uh, guy who took us to israel she's a, a good friend of todd's um and i she's a swell person in a lot of ways but i don't agree with her views on on vaccination obviously but i do think that she did a very very solid job with dealing with the strike. And I think that she's gotten some criticism from people who felt that the strike should have continued, that the actors should have held out for no AI acceptance whatsoever. Right now, they, they did accept the term guardrails, guardrails for AI. That would mean that if you're an actor and if you are of any type, and SAG after isn't just the big Tom Cruises and, and Julia Roberts, um, it's, it also represents after is, uh, is, is about back, what we used to call background extras, and they now call themselves background actors. Um, they're, they're actually the majority of SAG after's membership, and they're the ones that really have the most to lose in the AI wars. 
and because it's very it's it's been something that that the studios would love to do. And by the way, we're past eight o'clock, but I know from previous experience that maybe that's not such a terrible thing. Is it okay? No, we're fine. Okay, good. Because um, I missed yesterday, so I've got I've got three hours to make up, and I missed the okay, show last and, week. So and there's still plenty of time for people to send you money, right? That just gives you more. Well, money I mean, <laughs> yes, right? Come on, you cheapskates, help help a girl out there and send Robin some money. Keep I mean, I would. keep her off I the would. streets, I y'all. I haven't, worked, I haven't worked since July, Robin. I know it's terrible. I, I'd give you, I'd give you a thousand dollars right now if I were working, but I'm not working, so you get nothing. Nothing. No, I don't nothing. Know. Not a nothing. sausage. You'll like it, and you'll like it. <laughs> no, I'll probably, I'll, you know, now that I've said it, I'll have to give you money. Too. No, you don't. I, whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So anyway, it's it's always very easy to pick, you know, to pick on the background actors. Crew members pick on background actors. Yeah, don't just uh, you mean you mean like the old uh, don't just do something stand there joke. Yeah, and also it's like oh background extras or extras or actors, uh, they're there just for the craft service. And I have seen background by the way come with shopping bags, and take whatever isn't nailed down to the craft service table home with them for their lunches and dinners, and that's not cool. That's just never been cool. No, it's it's a damn it's a damn shame they're in that position to begin with. I know some people that it's not really a position; it's just sort of a habit. Oh, okay. I know one well, guy that was one one guy who's 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 now deceased, but was Stephen Hill's stand-in on the original, what I call the real Law and Order, uh, original flavor, original flavor Law and Order. Um, he was Stephen Hill's stand-in. Stephen Hill was the older member, the the uh, district attorney, the one who would say, "Make a deal" to Jack yes. Boy. He was his stand-in for years and years and years, and and I don't think he was really hurting for cash. But yeah, he Larry would come with his bags, Ziploc bags, and he would just load it up, and he would even back up the car, you know, cl- as close as he could. And he oh dear God, cereal. It was it's a neurosis, and I shouldn't actually speak of it because he has passed to the to the uh, the other world. But these things happen. But but anyway, yeah. So background extras. Actors, they're the first ones that studios were looking at. It's like, hey, why do we even need these people? And what they were trying to do is persuade background actors as a condition of employment to voluntarily sign a form saying you can use my likeness in any form in perpetuity. And I will receive no compensation for this. Those greedy fucking bastards. I mean, come on. That's a bit much. That's a bit much. Background actors don't make Julia Roberts money. They don't make Dan Fisher money. Not even close. But they do get health care provided by SAG. They do get some amount of money for their work. And if they bring a car and that car is used, they get money for that. And I've been very grateful to that. Anyway, so they have rights. And they certainly have interests to look out for. And I, I really think that if now what it seems to be the guardrails are that if you volunteer, if you consent to have your image used possibly for future AI use as background scenes, and this has been going on for a while too. I mean, it's not like when you watch the Lord of the Rings movies in the early 2000s, those weren't real human beings falling out of off the off the cliff. You know, armies of of 
people, you know, getting getting swallowed up by a giant dragon or something. That's all animated people. Those aren't real people. Um, but it's like, so if you're going to, with the new contract, if you're going to agree to that, to be replaced inevitably by your own self, only in likeness form, you got to get paid for that. You get paid for signing that original agreement, some extra amount of money. And if it's used, that has to be documented to SAG, AFTRA, and you have to pay residuals the same way you do with any other kind of residual. You know, if, if, if my likeness is used on a product, which is still creating profit for somebody, no matter how many years later, because Snow White and the Seven Dwarves is still making money for somebody uh, or, the, or any movie, you know, is still making money for somebody. Get paid for it. Share the wealth just a little bit. You know, you don't need it all. You know, how much food does a, a man need to eat? You know, just just yeah. pay people a little bit. You know, the auto workers, you know, just. They they sacrificed to well and and your, I think I think that's a large that's also, that's also a larger point Dan because um, the the relatively favorable resolution of the SAG AFTRA and and uh, WGA strikes goes hand in hand with the successful resolution of the UAW strikes insofar as it does seem like there is a resurgence of labor that is long overdue in this country one hundred percent. And I think we saw that this year. And P.S., anybody listening to this who might be rolling their eyes and saying, well, geez, you know, I work at a frickin', you know, Walmart or I work at a at an auto dealership. Why am I why do I give a shit about actors? You know, they make millions a year. No, they, no, they do not. That's the one percenters, folks. That's the Julia's. That's the George's. That's the Jerry Seinfeld's. That's not some character actor you've seen in hundreds and hundreds of movies that gets one scene that shows up. Yeah, the, and, and, not- and I, th- I think that's true across a wide spectrum of professions. I mean, people think, oh, lawyers are rich. Uh, yeah. may- maybe once upon a time, but you've got, you've got people graduating law school now who are taking jobs that are basically, basically contract jobs, you know, the, the piece yes. work. You know, yes, job jobs. Um, my first, my first job as a lawyer, I made less money than I made as a broadcaster at CNN, hmm. and it was deemed it, it was it was statutorily deemed part time. Well, and also knowing you, I, I can't imagine that when you came out of law school, you were like, okay, let's find the biggest company possible. Let's 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 call up Exxon and see if I can get on uh, to represent them. I don't think that was your bag. No, right? it, it was not. And I knew people who were doing the silk stocking stuff, and were getting you know they I mean hell they they were making good defense firm money. They were knocking down seventy a year in nineteen ninety one, but they were at work from seven o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock at night as young associates, and. You know, maybe once a month they'd get a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Because law firm, most a lot of people don't know, and we're, this is not a, a discourse into the practice of law, but yeah, let's all pity the lawyers. But okay, let's go. Fuck off. No, my daughter's going to be a lawyer. I'm I know, lawyer. I know. That's why I mentioned this because just as the government of the United States runs on twenty-two-year-old congressional staffers, and it does. Yes. So too. Uh, these great big law firms that handle this massive litigation 
you know, insurance defense, places like that. They're actually running on kids that are a year out of law school who are piling up, who are piling up all the billable hours. And the, I mean, because, you know, being, being a law firm, it has written the laws for itself. Law firms are the biggest pyramid schemes in the entire United States. Because the people at the bottom do all the work and the people at the top cash the checks. Well, yes. So, I mean, there, there, there is Just like that. any other industry. It's, as I said before, it's a product, right? Yeah. Uh, legal representation is a and product. And it's almost always so, based on some degree or another of abuse. Right. Well, that's show business as well. I mean, show business has long performed on that same philosophy of you got to work your way up the ladder and you're going to get shit on for the first couple of years. And if you put up with enough shit, maybe just maybe you'll get to you'll get to be with the, the bigger kids and you'll get to do the important work. But until then, go get my coffee, pick up my dry cleaning. And, uh, oh, you're an intern. So this is somehow educational for you to do all this. And by the way, too, I have been on jobs. I mean, it, it, I, it's not so much now, but there was a period in production during my lifetime when it became suddenly in vogue for productions to hire interns i worked on the movie black swan i was the prop master for that that was 2010 the natalie portman movie and we production hired like at least a dozen interns for our production because we were kind of an independent production we were not big budget we were not a, a hollywood studio movie but we we weren't nobody. We weren't we weren't just some kid out of film school with a credit card making this movie. We had Natalie Portman and we had Darren Aronofsky and, and Winona Ryder and uh, you know other people involved in this and me. Uh, but our production was like, well, we're low budget, so we're going to have interns. And Dan, here, you get to have an intern. And my first response was, why am I having an intern? Like I'm a union prop person and I believe in doing work that you get union pay and union benefits for it's like well we have no money we have no money and i actually kind of went with it a little bit i had a person that came in and and my first question was like why the hell do you want to do this for free like i i'll i'll hire you if you want but just so you know i don't believe in interns i think everybody should get paid no matter what they do i don't care if you get coffee or pick up laundry you should be paid money to do that and he's like no 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 you know like Darren, Darren Aronofsky is like my filmmaking idol. My my parents are friends of his. And so I I want to just be a part of a Darren Aronofsky movie. I will gladly work on this for free. And I'm like, OK. So for like a couple of weeks, I had this kid, you know, just like doing the most mundane tasks I could that would not at all approach union responsibilities. So I wouldn't get written up or have to deal with my own conscience a whole lot. But the fact is, this was a movie that paid me less than my usual rate. I, I, I worked on what was called, we all did, worked on what was called a tier two contract, which is about two thirds of what you usually make uh, for a full union contract. And we had interns, we had a dozen people who were all goggly eyed at the idea that if they were lucky, if they got enough coffee, maybe just maybe Darren Aronofsky might sit down with them one day at lunch and talk with them about the art of cinema, which PS didn't happen to any of them, I'm sorry. No, not surprising. But that's carried on the stick, and that's what keeps the wagon moving in that direction. And, and I, I do, I do need to jump in because a couple of people uh, responded when you said, when you when you mentioned you know, when, when you were, were kind enough to pitch for me. 
uh, uh, Ralph said, uh, "Don't don't make me uh, don't make me sick." Uh, Kayla and Tegan on you all. Uh, those are her kitties, and she sent a long video oh. of of uh, uh, Tegan trying to bunny kick Kayla. Children cooperate. Be nice to each other. And then oh. Tracy just said, "Y'all keep her off the pole." <laughs> I know, I know. I don't. Sister think needs it, a little cash. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, sister, 50, sister needs some new shoes. Fifty bucks turns into a hundred, however it comes in, because Todd took care of the first fifteen. Thank you, Todd. Uh, Todd is a god. Yes, he is. Thank God for Todd and all the rhymes that come with it. But let me just finish one quick Absolutely. point for at some point too, which is that. P.S. Postscript to this whole story is that Black Swan went on to make nearly $200 million in international box office. Natalie Portman won Best Actress that year at the Academy Awards for Black Swan. None of those interns ever saw a dime. And honestly, I doubt if the experience they garnered from being interns really contributed much to their futures. For me, it was something of a financial sacrifice, but at least I got a union which looks out for me, and I can say yes or no to jobs, and I wanted to work for Darren Aronofsky. But this business feeds on that ambition and starry-eyedness of it that we might occasionally get to work with or for our heroes. And, And certainly the auto industry, I don't know if you really get that or many of the other industries, but they all feed on this idea, law, law school, law firms, that if you eat enough shit, at some point you'll shit out diamonds. How's that for a metaphor? Yeah. Or, you know, you eat enough, eventually you get to put it on somebody else. Yeah. You serve us enough dinners, eventually we'll invite you to the table. P.S. The table gets further and further away. But if you do make the table and you do suddenly become successful then suddenly you get to be the one to exploit people and you get an intern and you get an intern exactly but, uh, look under the yeah. look on the card under your seats yes as billy holiday once sang you know them that's got shall have them that's not shall lose and, and that was uh, a while back and it seems to still be applicable well i think there's a verse that rhymes that says that but i blanked on it so so the Bible says, and it still is news. And it's the truth. Yes, Billy, Billy it absolutely told the is. Truth. So, uh, in terms in in terms of the podcast, let's talk ten podcast. Well, yeah. If you were to go to Spotify or to Apple Podcasts, uh, it's simply Let's Talk Ten is the name of the podcast. Uh, I do have a website called Let's Talk Ten Podcast dot com, and you could go there for the link as well. Um, my name is Dan Fisher, and I would be very, very happy to have any and all of those people listening tonight to become my Facebook friends. I'm doing that social media thing now where I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get as many friends as I can because God knows we all need friends these days. And, uh, and, and P.S., if, if I post something on Facebook and you comment on it, I'll respond to you. I'm really good about coming up with things to say if you say yeah i like that movie too i'll come back with something too about the movie or i'll I'll put i'll post a clip of that movie that you just told me about on facebook and we'll we'll probably never meet face to face but we'll be friends 
And Let's Talk 10 Podcast also has a Facebook page and uh, an Instagram page. Yeah. So I, I plug not only the show, as you might know, I also have a long-going series that I started way back when called Rankum, where I create topics of pop culture and I create these little nifty things with Photoshop, these little grids of like anywhere from 30 to 100 favorite whatevers. I do that. Uh, I'm starting to do these little daily things now today in pop culture history where I tell you about, hey, you know what? Uh, today, the 21st of November, it's not just a, a, a day like any other day. It's the day that in 1942, Tweety Bird was, inter- was, was uh, introduced to the world. And, and Tweety Bird's first feature um, uh, that I'm blanking on the name of because it's getting late. I'm getting and he was tired, pink. He was pink. Yeah. Here's the thing. I think I still consider Tweety a woman. I, I call Tweety a she. I don't know if it's ever been established uh, gender for Tweety. But there's no well, maybe, she, maybe, no maybe, maybe so, because, uh, like I said, started out pink. Like a like a featherless baby bird. Well, there's not uh, there's not a lot of female representation in the Warner Brothers universe, so I I would like to think that Tweety Bird is a woman, is identifies as a woman. And by the way, too, Tweety Bird's uh, physical attributes, that bulbous head, they're based on the animator Bob Clampett when when he was a baby, his baby photos. Somebody found his baby photos. And what they used to call the termite terrace, that was the uh, animator's room right. at, at Warner Brothers. And somebody said, oh, this would be a funny cartoon character. And that became Tweety Bird. And Bob Clampett was not only an original Warner Brothers animator, he would come to create his own shows, non-Warner Brothers. My, one of my favorites of all time, here's a, here's a way back for you, Beanie and Cecil. Oh, you my remember goodness. Beanie yes, and Cecil? yes. Do you remember how Bob? Uh, do you remember how Beanie and Cecil would always end their show when they would sing? What was the last line of their song? Oh no! Why? They go, Beanie and Cecil is a Bob Clampett cartoon, and Beanie would laugh, and that was the show. Oh wow! So that's Bob. Yeah, Clampett. you know, you're right. Representation of women, as much as as much as I love uh, Warner Brothers cartoons in particular. Uh, but it extends over to MGM as well, you know, Swing Shift, Cinderella. Um, but the representation was less than awesome. I mean, I always yeah, there's, there's Granny, yeah, Granny. Um, and then in the '90s, I think it was they invented Lola Bunny, yes. to be sort of a. But Babs. even that, they're sort of like even that, they're sort of like, well, she's Bugs's girlfriend. It's like, well, why doesn't Lola Bunny get to do stuff where like the like, girlfriend stuff? Why stick her in the girlfriend part? Yeah, and and of also, course, you know, there's that there's that one, uh, and I guess it was kind of a Halloween um, uh, episode where, you know, the the uh, Hazel, Witch Hazel, remember Witch oh, Hazel? Oh, Witch Hazel, that's true. <laughs> and, I'm so clever, you know. Oh, I and, love her. And and the the bobby pins that like fly out of her hair when she jumps up and, 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 and clicks her heels, but Bugs throws the potion at her and she turns into this gorgeous, really curvy, yeah, bunny. And as they walk away, he turns to the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and says, yeah, I know, but aren't they all deep down inside? Well, that's the dudes at the termite terrace kind of getting yeah. their little, uh, little, little, little horniness out there in a, in a yeah. children's cartoon. 
And that's fine. I like to think of the Roadrunner as possibly uh, a woman as well. Basically, any character in the Warner Brothers universe that's kind of a, 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 a target of a predator who winds up turning the tables on that predator with very little effort because the predator is an idiot. A freaking moron, yes. I see that as a, as a classic man-woman kind of thing. So to me, Wile E. Coyote, that's, he's, he's a dude, and, and Roadrunner's a woman, a very smart carefree woman who constantly without hard without barely trying yeah just outwits him outwits him because because uh, because after all he is wily coyote super genius and as a matter of fact i saw a car today Uh, yeah out on the road today i saw a deadhead sticker on a cadillac no uh i saw a car today that had a little dent uh like in the rear quarter panel going into the back uh back like passenger driver's side door and I guess they just maybe didn't have the money to fix it or whatever, and they're just going to live with the dent. And they had bought a decal, and it is it is the back of the coyote splatted into the car. You know, the, this basically That's the cute. same pose as when he splats into the side of the canyon canyon wall. I was afraid you were going to tell me it was the angry Tweety Bird one. I've seen that one, and and God knows we've all seen way too many pissing Calvin. Oh, please spare me from, yeah. That's like. Pissing on Mark Martin. Put, pissing, uh, pissing on, yeah, yeah, it's, it's. Let's put it this way, folks. If you've got pissing Calvin on the back of your car, it's probably, first of all, it's probably not a car. Probably it's a big ass gas guzzling truck. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you like Mark well Wayne Mullins a, that we were talking about at the beginning of the program. Yeah, you might as well get a vanity plate while you're at it that says toxicity. Yeah. Or just, you know. Asshole spelled with da- oh, with fives instead of s's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so I think that I do see Tweety as being that's part of that same thing. And and listen, neither Tweety nor the Roadrunner. See, this is that Warner Brothers conversation that you wanted to do with me on the show. Yes. That I I, I, ha- I haven't yet indulged you with, but maybe I will. Uh, but neither one, neither Tweety nor Roadrunner, do a whole lot to contribute to the demise of their predators they just sit back and watch the assholes destroy themselves and they're enjoying it you know i actually here's here's one more name dropper for you way back when i was working on a movie called mississippi burning yes and one of the actors in that movie turned out i didn't know it at the time but was also a fellow west virginian named brad duroff yes oh my god yes and one night because we did a lot of night shooting on that movie uh brad duroff and i were standing next to one another waiting for the cameras to roll their lighting i think the scene was hanging some unfortunate people and brad duroff turns to me just just ran in that brad duroff i'm kind of crazy way yeah huntington and boy. he says huntington boy and he says to me i kid you not he goes out of nowhere he goes you know who the most sadistic character in the Warner Brothers cartoons was? And I'm like, no, Brad Dourif, Billy Bibbit from Cuckoo's Nest. Who is the most sadistic Warner Brothers character? And he said Tweety Bird. Because Tweety just watches Sylvester get destroyed and just laughs and lets it happen and goes, ain't I a stinker? And it's like, yeah, I kind of get that. You know, yeah, I, not- I, you know I think he's right because – 
right after we got back from the Lib Boat cruise, way more than ten years ago now, I had it was my first time aboard a ship on the ocean, and I dealt with some motion sickness. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But Dramamine, even the little dot that you put behind your ear, uh, might as well be heroin to me. So mm-hmm. I was either going to deal with the motion sickness and experience the cruise or just sleep through it. And so when I got back, and somewhere in the archives, if they still exist, first show back, I ran the clip of uh, uh, Tweety Bird getting, whipping out the picture of the sailboat and putting it in front of Sylvester and saying, the ship went back and forth, it walked and walked. And Sylvester turns greener and greener and greener until he grabs his mouth and runs off scene. Yeah, Tweety's actually a little more active in in Sylvester's unfortunate uh, escapades than Roadrunner. She doesn't just watch. She'll, she'll, she'll get out a stick of dynamite every now and then. And oddly enough, my grandmother absolutely loved Tweety Bird. Oh, everybody loves Tweety Bird. Tweety Bird's adorable. And again, there's a little old lady born in 1904 doing the Tweety Bird voice. I mean, yeah. I don't know if that was June Foray. I doubt. I know June Foray did Granny. I don't think she did Tweety Bird, though. Possibly. And uh, you know, June Foray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mel Blanc said, no, 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 I'm not. That's her. I have I have an honest to God crush on June Foray. I have had one for some time. I mean, I, she's not with us anymore, but I still, I'm still crushing on June. But that's um, no, that's under, that's understandable. Some of the voices were so, you know, Betty Rubble, please. Oh yeah, but listen, it's almost 8:30. The reason I was a little late today, if you didn't tell your viewers, is I was making a, a le- red lentil soup for Helena, our, my dinner, and uh, I had to wait until the soup was ready for me to take out half of it and puree it and pour it back into the soup. That's the secret to the red lentil soup. Yes. I'll send you the recipe. If you, I, well, no, that's, that's just one of those, one of those, another one of those weird connections because right. you were talking about, you know, being friends and being friends online. You know, we haven't, we haven't been in each other's physical presence in 38 years, but I count you, right? I count you among my dearest of friends. Well, thank you, and, and likewise. And I would have been there. I would have been there for some of your uh, your barbecues. I think you had. Did, did you have a couple of gatherings of of the fandom? Yes, yes. I would have gone to those. I totally would have if it weren't for COVID. You know, as a transplant recipient, I've got to still be aware of COVID. It, it, folks, it, if you see, by the way, too, if you see somebody wearing a mask. Don't be an asshole. I'm sure your listeners, this doesn't apply no. to them, but no. don't be an asshole. Realize that some of us still will have to wear masks as long as COVID exists. And by the time it doesn't exist, there'll probably be something else that exists. So, you know, the reason and yes, yeah. the reason that the heart transplant recipients and chemo patients and, and, and the elderly all have to wear their masks, even though it's over. P.S. It's not. No, is that. We are very, very vulnerable still. And if we no, and I've had, a, you know, I've had all the, the vax. I've fuck you, Fran Drescher. I've had the booster. But if I get covid, it's still a really big deal for me because I'm taking little pills to tell my white blood cells. Take it. Take a day off, fellas. 
You know, just hang out. Don't don't attack my heart. It's not a foreign object. You know, it's all good. It's all good. So I don't want my white blood cells to think that way if uh, COVID comes along. Three, I, I'm one of the few people I know at this point who has not gotten COVID because I still wear my mask. I still assiduously avoid being in crowds of people. So that is my long, long way of, of, of apologizing and explaining that uh, I'm sorry I wasn't there for those. And, and we will, in the words of Diana Ross and the Supremes, someday we'll be together. Yes. Yes, we will. Absolutely. Yes, we will. Yeah. I know. And thank you to Ralph serving as the Horn Ad Hoc Tweety Bird Research Department. Uh, Tweety yes, debuted in A Tale of Two Kitties. Tale of Two Kitties, yes. In 1942. And, yes, appears pink. And Wikipedia identifies Tweety as male. I know, but yeah. But Wikipedia, I don't necessarily agree. But no, June Ferre did not voice Tweety. Okay, good. Thank you. Ralph was that? Thank Ralphs. you. Ralphs. 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 Yes. R A L P S. But Ralphs. no, I was I was going to say. Can I just give a message to Ralphs just real quick? Yes. Ralphs, my wife's name is Helene, H E L E N E. I can't tell you how many times a week she has to spell her name to a, a, a phone operator, a person on the phone or what have you. I can't imagine what it's like to be a Ralphs. How do you do it? How do you live? Ralphs is, Ralphs is a nickname. Oh, OK. Yeah. And and you you love it, obviously. And God bless, bless you for it. I'm not going to start picking fights with you, Ralphs. I've already got Canada and Star Trek mad at me. Oh, I think there's a couple of others somewhere along the way, too. But I was going to tell you that one of the weird things is that the connectivity. The older I get, the more the more I notice the little, you know, the little tiny filaments of the webs that connect us. I was in Kroger's last night uh, because I had to pick up. Actually, I was uh, I did I did red beans and rice for the Friendsgiving. God, it was good. To quote, if I may quote John Gilgood in the movie Arthur, yes, I'll alert the media. Yes, do please. Uh, there's even another funny story. Uh, let's just put it this way: uh, silicone banded lace top thigh highs are a fucking lie. Okay, they are. Uh, but I was in I was in Kroger's, and I ha- I was going to get another couple of bags of small red beans because I I took all the red beans and rice to the dinner and I want something. And so I looked two, two products to the right, and I'm not kidding you, Dan Fisher. I believe you. Whatever you tell me. My, I, my eyes lingered on red lentils. And Ooh, I thought, I wonder what I could do with those. You felt a disturbance in the force. Yes, and and it was probably nitrogen-based. As if millions of voices were screaming out, what should I eat for Thanksgiving? I should make red lentil soup. These are not the kidney beans I am looking for. Now, no no other podcast, folks. No No. other podcast is giving you Star Wars meets beans. beans. Beans jokes. And we're not even talking farts here. We're just talking about as a food product. Yes. In a Kroger. This is what your money gets you when you decide to pick up that phone or whatever you do to send money to Robin and her kids 
No, you're not Jerry Lewis. What am I talking about? No, but, no. Yeah. <laughs> Robin and her power bill and her internet bill and her phone bill. Well, those are like <sighs> your kids, aren't they? They're all very demanding. Oh, I spent more on them than I ever spent on the kids. That's for fucking sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but no, yeah, I was so walking I will, around. Yeah. I was walking around Kroger's. I don't know why I put the thigh highs on anyway, but they were just black. Th- and and so I'm walking around, and and I realize they're falling down. And then I look down, and and I was wearing boots, and the lace top of my thigh highs is is just sort of draping across the top of the boot. And I'm like, well, that could be a fashion choice. No. So I got back in the car. I looked at my daughter and said, "Fuck it, we're going to Walmart." And. <laughs> I left that pair. I left that pair of hose in the in, in in the restroom, and put on some nice respectable tights that would stay up and make me feel like a stuffed sausage in a casing. You know, maybe I should do an episode of my show where I find a restroom attendant for Walmart, and I get them to tell me the top ten weirdest ten things weirdest they've ever found. They found in a bathroom while they're cleaning it. Because I do want to give voice to all kinds of people. Let's get some restroom attendants in there. Not just us fancy schmancy show business types. You know, we're all workers. We're yes, all I, workers. I, I found a Bulgari watch in that one day. Very good. Very nice. Lovely. No. But I'm going to say one more sort of – I always sort of end these things on a mini sermon. Yes. So please allow me this before I run upstairs to eat my – Delicious red lentil soup. I assume it's delicious. I made it. Mm. I just call it. Is it, is like it, is it got a cream base? No, no, no cream to it. Okay. Uh, it's creamy in texture because, again, the trick is once you've done the, the simmering with the beans and the carrots and the onions and the and the vegetable broth and, and some other choice ingredients, you take half of that. And this is why I was late for your show today. God knows I'm making up for it now. You take half of the pot. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> yeah, hang on, folks. I'm going to tell you my grocery list next. I, and my my anyway. So you take half of the half of the pot and you pour it into a blender and you puree it and you, then you pour that back into the pot. That gives it a creamy texture without the uh, nutritional hazards of cream itself. Nice, nice. Hey, I I didn't write the recipe. I just follow it the same way I do GPS. I just follow it blindly. I just obey all orders, and I do not question. I'm one That's of those. Wa- I'm one. I'm one of those wander off the map types, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Because I'm yeah. so very proud of what I invented this weekend. Okay, but I am cream hungry, of asparagus so bisque. There. I okay. There. I am hungry. So if you'll indulge me with just a really Please. quick preaching. Preaching at the at the choir kind of moment. Shall I fire up the organ music? If you had it, or any other kinds of organs, hearts, kidneys, lungs, you could you could certainly ah. put those into the equation. Y'all, well. he's a professional. Don't try this at home. No, no. I mean, I do have a, you know a heart that belongs somebody else. That's a story you've heard a million times on this show and other places. But anyway, here's my here's here's the sermonette to end our our session, which is the reason I do have this show about pop culture it's never just for me about these are the best things these are the best movies you got to watch these movies if you haven't seen citizen kane what's wrong with you uh no what what it's about to me is that pop culture has certainly changed my life had such a huge impact on who i am as a human being but it's the stuff that we talk about we can only talk about things like gaza 
or the upcoming elections uh, or or go, or global warming. We can only talk about that so much. And God knows we don't really have we've got a little bit of power to do something about it. But we do know that, especially in places like across the globe from us, we don't have that much impact as to whether or not, you know, there will ever be peace in the Mideast. We've been talking about it since I was born and it still ain't happening yet, folks. But when we're not talking about those very important matters, like on any coffee break you have at your work, I know from mine. Where does the conversation inevitably lead time after time? It goes back to some movie or some silly TV show or a song that we just can't get out of our heads. That's what occupies the world's coffee breaks. We love to talk about, hey, I saw this movie over the weekend. You really got to check it out. And listen, if I had a dollar for every time I've been told, oh, there's this great new show on Netflix, Amazon, you got to watch it. You got to stream it. I, I I could buy Netflix from all of those recommendations that I'd love to get around to. But I, you know, again, so so many hours in a day. But here's why it's important is that I honestly believe and I, I try to really make this a point of my podcast and why I'm putting all of this crazy amount of time and effort into it. And I, I bet you could say the same thing for your show, Robin, is that I think that if we talk about all kinds of pop culture, including the stuff like Taylor Swift, uh, if we're of a certain age and, and we claim we don't like Taylor Swift, even though we haven't really listened to her that much, or hip hop, or, or, or Marvel movies, whatever it is. If we are persuaded by some guy on our car, or, or woman, if we're persuaded by some person on our car radios to check out something that maybe we haven't checked out before, Harold and Maude, or the first Jellyfish album, um, or, or Eminem's Stan, if we check those things out, we just might change as people from having experienced those things. I know personally that having grown up in a town, as I've talked about a million times on my show and yours, of 800 people in West Virginia with no stoplights, no McDonald's, no movie theater, and no black people within a 50-mile radius, no Jew, no Jewish people within a 50-mile radius. Wheeling, you had to drive from my house to Wheeling to, to encounter your first person of color or first non-Christian human being. But I learned about these people and these different ways of thinking and different ways of, of their experience in their lives through television, movies, and music. You know, I learned about you know, it was a very weird and, and, and warped perspective of it, but I learned something of what it was like to maybe be a black person by having watched Sanford and Son or Good Times. And no, those are not docu-realistic depictions of African-American or black life, but they at least brought to me and to America and to the perhaps the world an introduction to them as something that you might not see in your hometowns, but they're out there. They, they, they're out there and they're not coming for you at all. They're, they're out there and they're living lives and those lives are interesting and their music is interesting and women, how they approach ideas and music and movies and acting, all of these things are, in, are not only interesting, they're important that if we can learn to embrace cultures and thoughts and ideas that are not ours, that come from different communities than ours, 
different lived experiences, different generations. If we can do that, maybe we can learn to accept and embrace other human beings in general. We can be more open to all kinds of ideas politically, etc. And I know this is preaching to the choir. Everybody out there right now who's taking the time to listen to your show, they certainly know this. But that's the goal of my show, which not everybody's listening to yet. And if I had my way, they all would, because I'm an egomaniac and a narcissist. But, well, I'm not really that much, but a little bit. But that's Jim, really the goal. It's peut, not just, hey, Jim, dude. On peut, yeah. since you've been to France. I have been. A France, little. I, can raise, I, I actually raise my pinky when I drink uh, beverages, but that's, uh, that's an affectation, let's just say. But yeah, that's that's thus ended the sermon. I'm really trying to change the world in my own weird, probably not uh, terribly effective way, but I'm trying to change the world through talking about this silly stuff. And it turns out not me, to be quite so silly after all. No, because it's changed my life. And I think it's made me I'm going to praise myself. I think it's made me a better human being. Yeah. Having watched Sanford and Son, having listened to the Jackson Five. In the 1970s, and 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 George uh, George Clinton in Parliament, and yeah, and and, and see it, we're and gonna... hearing the song and hearing the song "I Am Woman" as not great as that song is, it's like oh yeah, women maybe they got something going on too. Everybody or trans or whatever, you know, bareback mountain. All of these things matter. They really do, and they, 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 they teach me. I'm constantly learning. Barbie didn't teach me anything I didn't already know about the patriotic, patri patriarchy, but it certainly made me at least consider things a little more like, hey, maybe that is kind of like me, and maybe that is kind of a, a dick move on my part. So, yeah. I'll, I'll keep learning from from stuff like the Barbie movie. Or... Absolutely. You know, and, and never never discount the Peking butterfly effect. You do not know... I mean, you can you can change one life and that one life can change the world. Right. And and now it's even more authentic than from when I was a kid, just to, to, to add on a, an epilogue to the sermon, which is that Sanford and Son and all those those were written by most by all white writers. A lot of them Jewish writers. You look at the credits for Sanford and Son. Uh, I, I think that they, they might have had on like good times or might have been like one black staff writer who just was, you know. I, I think was an advisor and would tell them black people don't talk or live like this. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sit down. Uh, we want to get to lunch. So we're going to keep it the way it is. Thank you very much. Yeah. Or, or what's depicted uh, in uh, Mrs. Maisel. Uh, right. When she becomes the first woman on a, you know, famous late night talk show. Right. First woman writer, first woman to get a shot at doing stand up. And it's not just fictional characters and their representation. No, I mean that. The, the, you I know. can tell you, you know, I can tell you in this business, in the business I've been in since 1986, there, there has been a, a, a remarkable change in the amount of of women on the set directing us, uh, telling us crew people where to put the props and where to put the lights. There are trans people out there who are writing and acting and sharing their experiences in a fictional often very funny or, or sometimes tragic form, whatever it is. And, you know, it's not just Broadway that gets those folks. In. You know, oh, no, but I, I don't know if you I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, I mean, this is kind of pop cultural. Uh, there is an AstroTurf group formed out of the American Family Association of Tupelo, Mississippi, mm -hmm. 
which used to, which was uh, founded by a guy, a preacher named Donald Wildmon, W-I-L-D-M-O-N. Uh-huh. And, of course, his boy has taken over. Donald Wildmon came to fame uh, all the way back when I was a little pimply-faced gospel DJ for his campaign against Warner Brothers cartoons. Long before Jerry Falwell ever started his, uh, his, 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 his jihad against Tinky Winky, this guy was out there complaining about anvils falling on coyotes. I don't know if he identified as a coyote. I, 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 you know, I don't know. Well, look, but, I the, don't, but the reason I mention this. I still don't know. Yes. Oh, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Well, I was I, just going to say, I, don't, I still don't know if democracy is going to survive another MAGA attack or will fascism eventually prevail. I don't know. I hope not. Well, sooner or later, Generalissimo Francisco Franco dies. And remains dead. dead. But what I will tell you is this. If you try to go against Warner Brothers cartoons or Harry Potter, you're going to lose. Like people will put up with the demise of democracy. But don't take away. Don't take away their fucking Hufflepuff. No, the trans community has learned that lesson hard. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, But I was going to say an offshoot of the AFA called the One Million Moms. They've got about 100,000. Yeah, uh, they're now actively boycotting Macy's and the Thanksgiving Day Parade because there will be performances of Broadway shows that feature trans and non-binary characters and the one million moms who aren't uh, called for this boycott saying they're turning the wholesomeness of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade into a gay and trans extravaganza. I guess they didn't pay attention to all those Broadway show tunes that have been playing since I was a kid. Yeah, I know. I mean, the thing, do do they even know that the parade happens, you know, on Broadway? George Benson High, great cover, best cover ever of on Broadway. And the opening uh, scene and all that jazz. Oh, my God. That's a stunner still. Yes. But so so it it, it caught fire on social media and everybody's like, I'm watching. I want to see a gay trans extravaganza. Well, that's a whole other. And listen, you know, we're we're almost four hours into your podcast. I know, today, and my iPad is almost. And, and I'm dead. approaching three, and I'm I'm getting hangry here, as the kids say. Um, but you, you know, if you go against pop culture more often than not, hopefully you're going to lose. And we could talk about like the woke nonsense and all of that crap. But we're, you know, I'm I'm hangry, so let's not go eat your go eat your red lentil soup. I'm sure it's delicious. I wish you could come up and have some too. I would gladly sit in a little little crusty French bread. Oh my goodness gracious! Listen, if you if you if if you do know, send if, me the recipe. Have, I'm not kidding. I will. And listen, if you wanted to, if you were just in the mood for a big ass, you know, all families, uh, you know, big ass Jewish family. Most I'm one of the few non-Jews that will be at the table in Long Island on Thursday. Come on up, get in the car. And uh, I'll give you the the direction. I'll give you the address. The GPS will take you there. Come join the family. And uh, sure, why not? That would be lovely. Dan Fisher, thank you so much. You were so generous well, your time, yeah. with your time, and I just loved you to pieces. Likewise, ditto, as uh, as uh, Patrick Swayze said in uh, in Ghost. Yes. Yeah, I love you to I'm, pieces too, and I'll I'll try not to take as much. I always say this. I'll try not to take as much time between my showing up here every now and then because I just have a blast spending time. Yeah, with you're a working stiff though, so I get it. Yeah, I mean when I'm not podcasting, I'm uh, you know I'm I'm actually doing something that pays me money. 
So there is that, too. But, yeah, Let's Talk 10 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and Let's Talk 10 Podcast.buzzsprout.com. Sounds great. You can be my friend on Facebook, Dan Fisher. I'm the guy. I've got a black and white photo of myself within a red circle. That's me. And, yeah, you can even do uh, Let's Talk 10 Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. You are ubiquitous. Ain't I, though? Some could say shameless, but I'll take it. Dan Fisher, thank ain't you. I a, <laughs> ain't I a stinker? That's right. Ain't I a stinker? Because Bug says that, too. They all say it. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're all stinkers. We're all stinkers in our own yeah. lovely human or non-human way. Anyway, good night uh, and uh, sweet dreams, and thank you so much for having me. And bon appétit. Later. Oui. Maybe. Uh, au revoir. Au revoir. A oh, that was wonderful. And uh, let's see, now I can... Well, now I can wrap the program. Um, some messages coming in along the way. Uh, Jude said, Scott has visited. With the dialogue you and Dan are currently engaging in, dear Robin, I still have glimmers of his voice. The Horn community is vast. Thank you, Jude. Thank you. And uh, Lee pointed out that when, when Dan was talking about exploitation, this is the Ferengi business model. The exploited want to become the exploiter. Rule of acquisition 299. After you've exploited someone, it never hurts to thank them. That way, it's easier to exploit them again next time. And thank you to our kind anonymous friend. Uh, the challenge will carry over. Uh, if the podcast crew would like to come in and knock off that other uh, 50 bucks on that challenge, I will uh, inform our kind anonymous friend. And uh, we will be down to 900 bucks, which will be 1200 tomorrow. So we're struggling to stay afloat. And thank you very kindly to everyone who does. Thank you to our Patreon and PayPal subscribers. Thank you to our a la carte contributors. Thank you to each and every one of you who share your precious finite time engaging in this program in whatever manner you so choose. Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Thank you to Roger in Oregon. Thank you to our news ninjas. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa, head on dot live. Remember, like and subscribe to the podcast. I need to find out about this overcast. Brother Deacon, are we on overcast? I have no idea. Um... It, but, no, like and subscribe, please. Leave a comment for the algorithms. Help people see that people do participate in this program and boost our visibility. It's making a difference. Thank you, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. Thanks to the hardest-working, bravest people I know, the folks at Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net, 20-plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia, and a proud union shop. Stay safe, y'all. Get your booster, get your RSV vaccine, get your flu shot, and uh, wear your mask if you're around groups of five or more, or if you're around maggots. Uh, wash your hands, don't touch your face, use your hand sanitizer, carry it with you, pocket or purse. Maintain your social distance as best you can, and pay attention, like Dan said, during this holiday season. You know, any, Sometimes people wear masks because they need to wear masks, and well, Dan's one of those people. Um, and 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 for God's sakes, if a million if a million moms who aren't really come toward you on the sidewalk saying, 
The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is going to be a gay trans extravaganza. Tell them yes. And it's going to be a blast. And avoid them like the plague. Because they are. And always, 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 Gina, it's all for you. Love you, Wayne. Later. <laughs>